Issues here with my contact, and yeah, you would think that I could just edit this out, you know. I mean, why not, right? This isn't live, but there's something wrong with me to where I'm gonna keep it in. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is uh, Let's Go Blues Radio, the Talkin' Blues summer interview series. Uh, this is season seven, episode nine, franchise episode all time, number 140. That's a milestone. It's a Brian Elliott and David Backus show. That's a big deal, everybody. Uh, how about that open, though? Man, the uh, the open from Smash, first of all, which we'll get to more into that in a little bit. But, man, I love those calls. That's one of the greatest moments in Blues history, that, uh, that big game where they came back and won 6-5 against the Maple Leafs. I know I used this once already uh, this summer. But, um, man, it's just two calls that never get boring. Well, as I start off every show, I am going to ask that you subscribe to our show on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, and Plex. Uh, you can also find us over at letsgoblues.com slash radio. And uh, if you are on iTunes, I ask that you please give us a five-star rating because... That helps people find us. You're sick of hearing it, I know. So why haven't you done it yet? Just go do it. Get it over with. Maybe if we get enough of these, I'll stop asking for it. One more reminder, and I'm not going to go too deep into it as I have in past episodes, but the Stanley Ponder Cup Memorial Tournament, which benefits Be The Match Foundation and Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, named after my late father who lost his battle with uh, leukemia back in 2015. Uh, It is going to be held Saturday, November 17th from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. Bar stays open till 1. So I ask that you come join us and uh, bid on some cool stuff, watch some bad hockey, play in some bad hockey if you're interested. It's over at uh, Queenie Park, Midwest Sport Hockey is the name of the, the building towards the end of the park there by uh, where the tennis courts, which, by the way, they're blowing up those tennis courts right now. 
I don't know what they're doing, but uh, they have completely torn those tennis courts out. So, uh, yeah, look for the construction, I guess. Uh, Sign-ups are open for players right now. All you have to do is go to dropinstl.com and go over to the 2018 SPMCT Tourney tab. And uh, toward the bottom there, there's a bold message that says something about uh, paying your fee and filling out a player questionnaire. Just do those two things real quick, and you'll be signed up for the tournament. So I got a couple people that have, uh, if you're listening, have uh, filled out the player questionnaire but have not paid their spot. So remember, you do not have a spot unless you pay the fee. So... Do that. Do that now. Before we get into our guests, yes, that's with an S, in this episode, I do want to mention the Blues announced something uh, the other day. The promo nights have been revealed. Um, You can see the full list over at stlouisblues.com. I'm not going to run through them all. Just want to give my opinion on a couple of these. Real quick, uh, the WWE night is on Saturday, November 3rd. I believe you get a t-shirt. Uh, with a WWE theme, there's going to be a WWE superstar there that you can meet. They haven't announced who that is yet. Uh, I am not a wrestling fan at all. Uh, I know our friend, friends over at the Blues Hockey Podcast are. I'm sure they're thrilled about this. But, uh, you know, I'm whatever. I don't care. Um, it's not my thing. It's just not, uh, it's not something that's going to bother me. I mean, if I go to the game... And they're doing all these wrestling-themed things. I'm sure there's probably going to be some Hulk Hogan and uh, Randy Savage uh, uh, videos used, which will be fun to see for me, because I did used to watch it when I was a kid. Come on, come me a break. I grew up in St. Charles. Uh, but, I mean, it's uh, I, it's cool. You know, you're trying to expose possibly wrestling fans into hockey who maybe haven't witnessed it yet. Maybe they're saying, hey, this is going to draw on a crowd that we're not reaching right now. I'm all, I'm all for these these nights. I know that uh, a certain co-host of this show probably doesn't agree with that because he's been very uh, loud about it on Twitter, as he always is. <clears throat> Kurt. But I don't care. Do what you got to do, Blues. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm fine with the themes. They're going to do a KC night this year, which will be pretty fun, so... You know, we'll see what they do with it, but I'm I'm not too torn up about it. Two other ones I want to mention real quick. I think it's really cool they're doing a 90s night, uh, Monday, April 1st, against the Avalanche. That might not be a game that I would typically go to, but they're handing out the Trumpet logo t-shirt, Trumpet logo from the 1990s, and it was one that they never put on a jersey, thank God, except for the one that uh, Mike Keenan turned down, best thing he ever did as a blue but the the I thought it was a, a cool-looking patch that they always had on their shoulders. I really like that logo, believe it or not. Um, I know I'm, I'm not a fan of the clown jerseys and, like I said, that, that jersey that was turned down, but I'm a fan of the logo itself. Uh, it's actually something that uh, kind of, I guess, brings me back nostalgic to my childhood, and uh, and I liked it then, so... I think that's a really cool idea. Uh, you know, nostalgia is huge right now in Hollywood and, and all over the place, social media. So, Blues are doing the right thing there. One negative that I'll say from the promos is the soccer night. I feel like that was a miss. I like the soccer jersey idea, and I think the whole soccer night is a great idea. But this is a perfect opportunity for the Blues to lend a hand 
to the STLFC, the St. Louis Football Club, play out there in Fenton. This is a perfect opportunity for them to partner with them, maybe use their colors for the jersey a little bit. I know that they're the blues, so they don't want to use green maybe, but I don't know. I, I just feel like there's a partnership there to be had. Draw people to the STLFC. I mean, why not? You're not playing in the same seasons. They play over the summer. I just think that's a, a really good partnership opportunity for a soccer night since we don't have uh, MLS here in St. Louis. So I think that is something that was kind of a miss. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they just haven't announced that there's going to be some partnership there. But as of right now, there is uh, there is nothing that they've said in the works that they're partnering. So, uh, I mean, it's again, I like the idea of the of the night. It's just not executed the way I would have preferred. I'll stop uh, talking your ear off because I know uh, you want to hear the man that was singing earlier. So our guest this week, finally, I am bringing in Smash and Gene Ackman, the creators of the Let's Go Blues song. Uh, I was able to interview them the other night, and we actually met over at Stony River Steakhouse and Grill in Chesterfield. Never been there before. Wonderful establishment. I want to give them a quick call out because uh, they were very gracious to us and letting us do the show uh, from their establishment. So very cool of them and, and just a very nice restaurant. If you're in the Chesterfield area, uh, definitely check that out. It's uh, unbelievable food and just a, a wonderful wait staff as well. But uh, yeah, we discussed the creation of the Let's Go Blues song and then uh, just kind of their overall love for writing sports songs and uh, how they're still touring in the area, uh, Smash's career on the radio for anyone who's Lived in St. Louis for an extended period of time. I guarantee you've heard him before. He's somebody who, uh, the voice is very well known. You hear that voice and you know who it is. Yeah, very cool having him on. And Gene, of course. Uh, Gene with Butch Wax and the Hollywoods. Obviously friends with Smash and the Smash Band. Both have done great work in the St. Louis area. Uh, they tour, they are available for booking. It's just uh, a lot of fun talking to these guys about uh, everything that they've done in their careers and, uh, again, just the creation of Let's Go Blues song. I know I'm probably a dork for liking that song so much, but of all the blues songs written in the past, that is by far my favorite. I think it was just so well done. Plus having the Johnny Johnson uh, influence in there, whew, just beautiful. Well, after uh, Gene and Smash join me, I also welcome in Lance to Scott from the Drop Podcast. Uh, Lance talks about his show and what separates him from other blues podcasts. And we also, uh, of course, talk a little blues. I get his thoughts on the upcoming season, what we can expect from uh, certain players, including Jake Allen, who uh, he's always been a fan of and supports, which we all do. We all support Jake Allen. We just question things, but I like to think every Blues fan still supports him, so hopefully that's still the case. I'm going to stop, because my God, I've gone on for way too long. What'll start things off, let's go to Smash and Gene Ackman, the creators of the very song you hear during every Talkin' Blues Summer Interview Series episode.
This is Jeff with Let's Go Blues Radio, and I'm joined today by local musicians Smash and Gene Ackman, creators of such songs as Let's Go Blues, Gotta Go to Work, and Pennant Fever. The Smash Band and Butch Wax and the Hollywoods are still together and tour the St. Louis area. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. Glad to be here, partner. Yep, thanks for having us. Let's go, Blues. That's right, that's right. We've already had a lot of conversation, which I regrettably did not record, but uh, we'll get back into the song here in a little bit. I wanted to ask how you two met and how you guys became such good friends. We had Smash Band playing at a Cardinals rally, and Gene comes up to me, and he says, you see that guy over there? You know who that guy is? No. He said, that's Johnny Johnson. I said, the piano player? And me and Gene met when he introduced me to Johnny Johnson, who came up and played with the band at that Cardinals rally. So that was kind of like a thrill for me, because we're of that generation. We know who these guys are. Maybe some of the youngsters don't know. But Gene brought him, and he was for real. And that's how me and Gene Absolutely. met. Absolutely. I remember yep. I remember yep. that. He got up and, and played with Smash, and those guys were tearing it up. And it was so much fun. And so from that point forward, you know, we just kind of stayed in touch. And we started hooking up with different things. And uh, so that's kind of how that came about. But that's exactly correct. Yep. You want to talk about the younger generations? I told my wife that I was meeting you guys. And she goes, oh, well, I know them from anything. And I'm like, she's 29. <laughs> Maybe not. I go, but I know they played with Johnny Johnson. Who? Oh, he played, he played with Chuck Berry. Who? Yeah, oh, right good up. Lord, I got a lot to teach you, woman. Right. <laughs> so right how did you meet Johnny Johnson? You know, um, I met Johnny. I was playing with... Uh, uh, no, actually, i tell you how I met uh, I met Johnny. He was playing... Billy Peak was the guitar player with Rod Stewart. When right. Billy Peak would come home on off tour with Rod, he had a little band, and uh, they played over at a place called the Comedy Box in uh, Blackjack, over in Florida. And uh, so Johnny was playing with Billy, and they had Gus Thornton playing bass, and Kenny Rice playing drums. And I'd go over and see him, and I love that kind of music. So I kind of befriended Johnny, if you will, and we just kind of became friends. And uh, so that was back in like 78, wow. uh, 77, 78, and we just became friends over that, and then Johnny would come out and do stuff with my band, he'd come out and do stuff with Smash's band, because we were all sort of intertwined, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah, but it all stemmed from, from Gene and Johnny being friends. Gene used to take him fishing and stuff on his lot back over there, but Johnny... You know, Gene introduced him to everybody and, and didn't hog Johnny Johnson, you know what I'm saying? Right, he right. was open to letting Johnny play all over and everybody got a chance to play with Johnny Johnson, man. That's, That's the guy who pianoed rock yes, and roll. No question about it. Johnny B. Good was written about, right? Yeah. Yep. And the funny thing about it with Johnny was that it was just weird, especially when we got doing all the stuff back. Let's just talk about the gotta go to work days. Right. And Johnny would come down and smash, was gracious enough to invite us down to all of the Johnny would come down there. And, you know, he, he might have been out playing, you know, with the Rolling Stones or with Eric Clapton or on the yeah. David Letterman show. But he'd come down and play with us. <laughs> but if he saw somebody like Isaac Bruce, you know, he saw Isaac Bruce or one of those guys, man, he was just excited. It's, yeah. it's like that was his thing. St. Louis sports was Johnny's thing. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I was doing his thing with Clapton. And I was with, you know, this guy or whatever. But that didn't phase him. But, like, they'd play, they'd be able to get and hang out with some of these 
guys that were football players on the Rams or hockey or whatever, that yep. was big time to him. Yeah. Wow, that's that's, uh, that's that's great. That's cool to hear because you hear about Johnny Johnson, you hear about how great of a piano player was, but the stories, because social media wasn't around then, you don't hear about the kind of person he was. Oh. So that sounds like a absolute oh, wonderful man. Yeah. Absolute sweetheart of a man, really. You know. And his wife, a beautiful girl. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. You, you would also mention that you played with Billy Peaks band, correct? Yeah. So you mentioned him earlier, the, the guitarist for Rod Stewart originally? Back, well, back in the 70s, throughout all the 70s, yeah. Oh, wow. So how'd you get hooked up with that gig? You know, a friend of mine told me, I see I was always a big Chuck Berry fan, okay? It's, Who is it? Uh, yeah, so a friend of mine told me, your wife. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, so a friend of mine tells me that, uh, you know, he says, man, this guy that plays with Rod Stewart, man, he's a great Chuck Berry player, and he's, when he comes to back in town, because he's from St. Louis, he plays around at some different bars and things like that, and he said, you should go out there and see him. So I went out there, and I saw him, like I say, with him and Johnny Johnson and that, would see him, and I was just kind of, I was young, and kind of a wannabe musician, I was playing bass guitar, so I had a card, a Gene Ackman bass player, you know, and I had my phone number on it, so I give it, I gave it to Billy and one of the guys in his band. I said, I know you're playing with Rod Stewart and everything, but if you ever need somebody to play bass guitar with you, I love Chuck Berry's music, and I know every Chuck Berry song, and I, you know, give me a call, so it was kind of whatever. Yeah. So some years passed by, like a couple years passed by, then you know, I'd still go see him when he was in town, kind of knew him a little bit. So then I get this call, say, hey, you know, Billy's looking for a bass player, you need to come over and audition. So I went over there to audition, got the gig playing bass, but right after he had left Rod Stewart's band, which was exciting to be playing with Billy, you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, 26 or 27 years old, and Billy was about 38 or something, man. Yeah. It was rock, rock, rock. Did he play a flying V? Yeah. Uh, Billy Peak played a flying V, which is quite a unique type of guitar. It's got a really kind of sweet but raunchy sound to it. He just knew how to make it talk, you know? Yep. That's awesome. Still does. Yeah, still yeah, does. Yeah. Say, still, he's still going. Yeah. Uh, so you play keys, bass, bass guitar, and guitar. Yeah. What, what can you not play? <laughs> keys, bass, and guitar. <laughs> I just feel like good enough to get by. You know? Right. <laughs> well, you made a career out of it, so you, you did yeah. something right. Gene is quite uh, a band leader. Yeah. He knows how to run the yeah, band. Yeah, that's probably my forte. So who was your uh, influences, Gene specifically, growing up? Well, for me, definitely it was, you know, Chuck Berry. And I was, uh, Chuck Berry and the Beatles were my, that was two of the biggest ones. And as time went on, of course, I really got into the Eagles and Eric Clapton. And then after I, you know, met Johnny Johnson, I dug into a lot of his stuff, and that influenced me. And so those guys were, those guys were. And then later on, like I say, I, I like, you know, Vince Gill and Eagles and that kind of stuff. How about you? What were your influences, Matt? Uh, growing up, uh, we lived in, well, I went to a, a black high school. I was one of like 10% white people there. And so it was Motown all the way, soul music, stacks, that kind of stuff. 
James Brown especially, and then uh, then you saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan yeah, show, right. and that changed everything. Absolutely. Still love Motown, of course, but that changed everything musically speaking. And then came the Rolling Stones, and then came the Animals. Freddie and the Dreamers, even just all those great bands. The Animals—that was your guy, wasn't it? Uh, Eric Burden. Eric I loved Burden. Eric Burden. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, also, the Rising Sun is one of my favorite songs. Yeah, that's a great song. Uh, Eric Burden helped start, start, or at least bring to prominence a band called War. Yep. I just did a gig with about a month ago, and they were smoking, man, just just killer. I tell you, it was killer. I saw last week was uh, Tower of Power over at the River City Casino. That. Oh, man, they were so kick-ass, I was crying. That's how bad. But I was brought up on, on soul music and then got into Beatles and all that kind of stuff. i got to ask, I think it was in high school, you had a band called Frenchie and the Wee Weeks. Wow, well, you know, yeah. How, how uh, did you come up with that name? Well, O-U-I-O-U-I-S right. is the way you say yes, yes in French. Mm -hmm. But also, Wee Wee back then meant taking a leak somewhere, <laughs> right, right? Of course. And so uh, Frenchie and the Wee Wees, it was our kind of like bad boy attitude that uh, we could do all these gigs and yet we could say Wee Wee, but it was spelled French. Right, of course. But we're talking about pissing on everything. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what Frenchie and the Wee Wees was. And people loved it. The kids oh. loved it because it was, it's al it was almost anti-establishment. Right. You know? It was against what uh, what the old folks were doing. They right. would uh, rather you have a nice name like uh, the the Kingsman or something like that. Right. You know, it was the letter, a great band, or the Letterman, letter, something like that. Yeah. But we were the Wee Wees, man. We said we saw on all of them. <laughs> How about you? What was your first band's name? You. Uh, it was called Ruckus. Ruckus. It was, okay. a, it was a country rock band, and we were doing at the time. We were just doing all the Marshall Tucker, Leonard Skinner, oh, Charlie right. Daniels. Well, I, I was an older star. I was a late bloomer. Well, I was, I was uh, about 22 or 23. Oh, really? Yeah. So when yeah. did you guys know music was your calling? I knew mine when I, I used to, and it's almost cliche now, but I used to. When I'd go to sleep, have my transistor radio by my pillow, and I would lay there and listen to the wife, WIFE radio, the wife good guys, and uh, and they'd play all the songs. And so I'd fall asleep listening to the transistor radio. Wow. And that's when I got into music and always wanted to be in a band. Uh, and then when I saw the Beatles... And they had all those girls screaming. I thought, man, I want in That's on this. That's what I want. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Everybody from our yeah. generation, I think, once I think they so. saw the Beatles, man, that was that was it. Yep. Could you do? Could you make it happen or not? But you wanted to shoot for yeah, it. Yeah, right. Know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yep. And I know, like for me, well, I, I kind of want to do it. So I, and I remember. Uh, I didn't know how to play anything, you know what I'm saying, and so, but I went into a music store, and I, and I wanted to buy a, a, I was going to learn how to play the bass guitar, so I went in, and, and Paul McCartney at the time, well, he was playing the Hoffner, but then on, later he had a Rickenbacker, it was a, a blonde Rickenbacker, and I love that, and so I went in there, and they had one on the wall, and I said, uh, I want to buy that bass. And it's okay. So you want to play it? I said, I don't know how to play it. I just want to buy it. And he says, well, uh, 
He goes, I got, I'll, I'll be happy to sell it to you, but I've got some cheaper ones. No, 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 no. I that's want that one. one. That's what Paul plays. Paul's my guy. That's what I want to, I want to buy. So I take it, take it home. Sit down. I had this Beatles. You, probably, you might know this album. It was a, it was a, it was probably like a radio station album. It was a compilation. It was called the Beatles Rock and Roll Music. Uh -huh. It had all these old songs on there, yep. like Lucille and Long Tall Sally yep. and Bad Boy and Matchbox and all this stuff. So I learned how to play the bass. Listen to that. Chuck Berry's greatest hits. Then we. Me and a couple of buddies of mine that formed the band Ruckus, we went up to this little place that was, it was either called Jack's or Better or Ground Ground. They, they, it was a little restaurant thing that had music in there and they had a gong show. It was young, Smash. I don't know if he knows what the gong show was. Oh, the, oh yeah, okay. the people Wait. get on stage yeah, and gong went off. So they had a gong yep. show. It's a gong show on nowadays. Oh, Mike, yeah. Mike Myers is the, uh, the host of it. Oh, so really? We, I didn't know that. So we got up, three of us, and we played. Little Queenie by Chuck Berry, nah. and we won twenty-five dollars that we had to split. <laughs> we had to split three ways, but I was five dollars. Hey, <laughs> I am now a professional musician. Yeah. I'm getting paid to play music. Yeah. <laughs> Back then, they used to have a thing called the Battle of the Bands. Right. Yeah. So you, so Frenchie and the Wee Wees. It came down to Frenchie and the Wee Wees and this other band at the Indiana State Fair. Winner got whatever they got. So we went and and played our set, and then the band that followed us had a blind accordion player. <laughs> and they were playing rock and roll with a blind accordion player, and they beat us. And I, I, I'm still angry to this day <laughs> that an accordion player beat us for rock and roll. But There's back then, that's so the, many levels that's the way we that. did it. Yeah, a man. blind guy and an accordion yeah, player yeah, yeah, in a yeah. rock band beat yep. you. <laughs> just off the subject, but just like my my buddies, you know Richie Callis and yeah, yeah, I saw him the other night. Yeah, Richie. No, no, no. I saw his brother. Ed, Ed, yeah. yeah, but Ed and Richie, of course, Richie had written that song for the KC thing or whatever. Yeah. So Ed and Richie and his John Gillespie, these guys all went to high school and they had this rock band. They were great. They're doing a battle of bands and they're up there. This is like I'm a junior in high school, right? '71, and they're playing like "Won't Get Fooled Again" and "Walk Away" by the James Gang and all this yeah. great stuff. Great tearing it up. Yep. And this band beat them out and they, and they beat them out but they were playing the song they were playing the song Me and You and a Dog Mini <laughs> by Lobo wow that's terrible they, they got beat you. by that yeah. well, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to pimp him out on that next time I see him man. that's too good uh, so kind of moving forward in your yeah. guys' careers oh, yes. Yes. So, oh, yes. so for you yes. I want to ask you you go from Indianapolis yeah. or Indiana uh, to DC, yep. um, to St. Louis. You're still here. Why St. Louis? Oh, I, I was in New York between DC and St. Right, Louis. Right, right. Why St. Louis? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a long story, but in in uh, brevity, I got offered the opportunity to be on KC95. In that day, there was maybe five great rock and roll stations in the country. Right. WNAP, I worked at in Indianapolis. DC 101 was one of the humongous ones in Washington, D.C. And KC 95 was another one. WMMR in Cleveland, I believe it was, and KLOS out there in Los Angeles. And then KFOG up in San Francisco. So you had the opportunity to work at a KC or one of those kind of radio stations. You take That's it. like... That's like strong. So they approached me, and uh, so I took the gig, and 
Part of it was that they were looking for somebody to compete against J.C. Corcoran. J.C. Corcoran was a friend of mine from DC 101 because we worked at DC 101 together. Mm. <laughs> I'll never forget calling him one night and say, saying, I'm going to come and compete against you in St. Louis in a couple of months. <laughs> he hung up the phone and we didn't talk for six years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, and when it was all over, back to best of friends. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a J.C. Corcoran story. Yeah, <laughs> but he's one of the great broadcasters, man. Oh yeah. Yep. You know, I remember going back. It reminds me of something. I remember I didn't officially meet you. Until we talked about like at that game, which is true. Right. But I ran into you right after you came to St. Louis, and I was down at this bar. It was called 64 West, and it was on St. Patrick's Day. Was I civil toward you? No, I just knew who you were. I, I said hi. You probably said hi. But it was down at this bar. Yeah. It was on St. Patrick's Day, and one of our favorite entertainers was playing Mitch Ryder and the Detroit oh, Wow. Yeah. And you know what? It was funny because this is off the subject here, but it was funny because it wasn't that packed of a house, which I was surprised by, because yeah. Mitch Ryder did Devil with the Bluegrass on, that was great. Yeah. So, Sock it to I, me, baby. Yeah, I remember because back in the day when you were learning to do somebody else's yeah. music, you didn't have the words on the internet, or sometimes you'd be right. lucky if it was on an album. You, you know, in the, you would have to drop the needle yeah. on the record, yeah. and then you'd have a piece of paper, and you're trying to jot these down, then you would drop it back down, and you'd continue writing the words. Yep. And sometimes you're like, oh, wow, what, I wonder what he's saying I can't make it up. So that being said, so I was singing in my band, I was singing Devil with the Blue Dress on. And there was this one little air, one little line through there, and I I wasn't exactly sure what he was saying, but I was kind of making it up. So I was singing it, and that's the way I did it. Well, I had a chance to, to meet Mitch Ryder. I said, hey, let me ask you a question. I said, I, I sing your song, you know. And I said, what are you saying on that second verse? And he said, let me ask you this, what are you saying? Mm -hmm. So I told him, he goes, how the hell did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> which, line, which line was it? Oh, oh, I'd have to think it through here, but it was like... Uh, Wearing the wig hat, Chanel number five, got to be the finest thing alive. The next, the next, well, she walks real cool, catches everybody's eye, and there was this right here. And, and I was saying, their tongues get tied when they try to say hi. And he says, and that's what he said. Yeah. And he goes, no, said, the cats are so nervous, they can't say. He said, wearing a perfume, Chanel number five, got to be the finest girl alive. She walks real cool, catches everybody's eye. Cats are so nervous, they can't say hi. Mm. Ah. That's what he said. But I was saying, their tongues get tied when they yeah. try to say hi. That's I always the same said, idea. I always said, when tasted for loving, you can't say goodbye. But what did he say it was? He said, the cats are so nervous. The cats are so nervous. That makes sense, too, yeah. So I don't know. But yeah, but that was devil the first with a blue dress. Time, that was the first time I saw Smash was down there. I'm uh, a writer I love, man. Rascals are coming to town, buddy. I will see you there. Let me tell you. Let me tell you one quick story about that. I have, and it's, you know what's great about that? The Rascals are going to be there. Also, Ronnie Spector is going to be there. Yes. Carmine Apice is playing yep. drums. Unfortunately for me, I have to play music that night. I can't go to that, so I got tickets to go see them in Louisville two nights oh, later yeah. right at the Palace down in Louisville. Yeah. I closed off that night, buddy. It's the yeah. Rascal. It was we patterned French and the Wee Wees after the Rascals. Love the Rascals, and we did a gig with the Rascals back in the day and got to hang out with Felix Cavalier yeah. and all the guys. And then Carmine Apice has played the drums. He, he was a monster. He was a monster. I guess he still is. Yeah, and he played with Vanilla Fudge. 
you played yeah, with right, 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 right. Jeff Beck, Rod Stewart, Ted Nugent, all these guys. And I was fortunate there playing with Billy Pete because Carmine was the drummer with Rod Stewart. Uh, I got to do a gig with just me and Billy Peake and Carmine and Peace. And I was like, wow. I was playing the bass guitar. I was like, oh. Nice. I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm with the big boys here. Oh, man. I'm that's, with the big boys. I was nervous. That's man. like stepping on the rink with Al McKinnis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Nice that's, parallel. That's right. Yep. Uh, Didn't Carmine and Peace have a brother? Yes, Vinny. Vinny, that's right. He played with, he played with right some on. big bands. Yeah. Uh, Yes, Jeffrey. Oh, I'm just reviewing what the next thing is I want to ask. I got so many we things. Got them all off the subject. No, I, it is. This is fantastic. This is what I want. Uh, I was going to ask you about your interview with Guns N' Roses on MTV. Oh yeah. You, uh, that's one of the most iconic moments in, in rock history that I've seen from Rolling Stone. Yeah. Rolling Stone magazine called it one of the top 40 greatest moments, man. Pretty so uh, why, why do you? Was that so iconic? Um. I was hosting Headbangers Ball, and they were going to tear down the set after that interview. And this new band was coming out with their uh, first album, uh, Appetite for Destruction. So I go to the producer and say, you know, if you're tearing down the set, their album's called Appetite for Destruction, let's let them destroy the set. Because part of the deal with rock and roll back then is like the Who would throw TVs out of hotel windows and do all kinds of stuff. So I said, let's let them destroy the set because you're going to destroy it anyway. Producer comes back, I guess he got his okay from somebody above him. And I told uh, uh, Axel and Slash, I'll never forget, this is what we're going to do. And on cue, <laughs> we started tearing all that uh, stuff down. And uh, like I said, Rolling Stone called it uh, one of the greatest moments in Rock and roll history, so that was pretty cool, man. That was yeah. pretty cool. So a good moment for you guys. Yeah. In real rock and roll history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. We were, we were right, talking right. about this earlier, Gene and I, and uh, you guys not only were able to, to play the Super Bowl celebration after the win, yep. but all the way through it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that had to be just great moments yeah. over and over every week. Well, you know, we um, Smash Band was the official band of the uh, St. Louis Rams for 12 years. Right. One day Gene contacts me says, I got a song that could be a really good fight song for the Rams and, and a fan type of uprising type of song, you know? Right. And uh, so I heard it, I thought, yeah, this is killer, man, because it was just, just a really good kind of like blues progression, but rocking too. I just, and I asked him, do you mind if I change some of the words? Of course. And Gotta Go to Work was the slogan right. of the Rams. Yeah. And we just went off of that and you know, <laughs> brought was, Johnny Johnson Johnny in. It was Johnson. killer, man. It was, uh, yeah, you know, I was just starting to say before we got there, you were talking about the Guns N' Roses real quick. This man needs to write a book right here. Ah, uh, yeah. I agree. He's got some stuff, man, through the years. It's like incredible. But anyway, so yeah, on the gotta go to work thing. Yeah, that's right. And you know, it's Smash came over. I kind of had the nuts and bolts of it together. But there was a lot. And the one thing that I remember for sure that I didn't have, <laughs> and these guys said, so I was kind of actually, I was kind of taking sort of like a, a hybrid of 
Baby Workout by Jackie Wilson. <laughs> One of my favorite songs. And, and Let the Good Times Roll. I was kind of doing a hybrid feel of that. But, you know, I, so Dick Jamil had said, yeah, we got this slogan, got to go to work, but it's just not catching on. Yep. So I started asking man to write a song called Got to Go to Work, you know, put it together. And, and I kind of come up with where it would break, and then I said, we'd have this bunch of people all yell, got to go to work. And, but I remember on the song, I didn't have, uh, I was saying it was like, you got to work, or, or uh, work, got to work. Yeah, so I was like, gotta work. And they're saying, like, no, why don't you go ahead and put the whole thing in there? Gotta go to work. I said, I don't think it'll fit. So they smashed, started saying, no, listen, listen. Just go ahead and put it all the way in there. It's like, and that was the beauty of that, that chorus, you know. And so we, we changed up a lot of the words, we changed different things, and we had it. And uh, always kind of saved the spot for my buddy Johnny. Yep. And we kind of designed it with him in mind so that grew that he could really was his forte, yep. you know, and it just was, it was magic, you know, yeah, and especially with all the chorus, and it, it was just, you know, it was like, you know, whatever, you, you know, your people stand, shout it, let it be heard, and, yeah. uh, gotta go to work, you gotta work, work, and everybody would yell, gotta go, and we brought down, we had about 20 people or so yeah. singing that chorus, like it was a, a crowd at a football game, right. but Johnny Johnson was even part of that crowd singing backups. <laughs> that was killer. That was it was a really magical season, it was a magical song, it just all landed correctly, yeah. you know? And it was, what I was telling them earlier, what was cool about it was smashing those guys were the house band at all those rallies. Well, each week, they kept winning and it kept going just a little bit further. It's like, yep. could this really be happening, you know? Yeah, right. And then maybe one rally there were, yeah. you know, a thousand people at, and the next one there's, yeah. you know, 20,000, and then there's a hundred thousand or whatever. It was, it was amazing exactly. it's so fun to be part of that yeah yeah actually actually doing the song at the Super Bowl celebration was that one of the biggest crowds you guys have ever played in front of it was for me definitely yeah yeah definitely it was uh, I think it was like a hundred thousand people they Something estimated like yeah but it was like 10 degrees outside but <laughs> yep. it was jam-packed man and uh all of those rallies seemed like they were 10 degrees. Yeah, I know, I know. But you know, when when you got that many people in a tent and they're shoulder to shoulder, it kind of was a warmth oh, yeah, there anyhow, you know? Well, yeah, we had done that, and then they had one of them right before over at the big Union Station on that. And then I remember yeah. after you guys had played out there, and then it was the game, I guess it was against, it was either, I think it might have been against Tampa Bay when they yeah. sealed it. Right. And then you guys were playing at this bar at the afterwards bar. Right. over on uh, the land. Yeah. And we all went, it, it, you couldn't even get in this yeah. thing. Yep. It was amazing. They, they, they stopped us in the tent after the games because the season was going so good and we were winning so many games in the tent because we used to play after the games too. People would start climbing the poles in the tents, and you had people dangling off the poles. And the the city said, "Uh, uh-uh, ain't gonna happen no more." So we moved over to right there at the edge of Lecleves Landing, whatever the club was. I don't remember which club it was. I can't think what that was no, called. There, but it was astounding. Yes. Yep. Yeah, you play. Was. You played a lot with uh, Johnny Rivers, yeah. right? And and of course Johnny Johnson. Yeah. Actually, I'm actually I'm going to do a show with Johnny Rivers. Uh, September 15th. It's going to be Johnny Rivers and. Uh, 
piano player that wrote uh, Jimmy Webb. Jimmy okay. Webb. Oh, wow, really? Big Arthur Park, and he wrote, you know, by the time I get to Phoenix and yeah. all those things. So Johnny called me up and wanted me and my two girls in the band. He's going to come up there and just come back and up on a few things. Is that so when, when they come here? No, th this is going to be up in, in Chicago at a place oh, yeah. called the Ravinia. Jimmy Webb's coming here, I think. Yeah. yeah. This is called the Ravinia Festival up there. It's supposed to be a really cool, cool. event. So we're going to do that. But yeah, I've got to do some stuff with Johnny, Johnny Rivers. I love Johnny Rivers. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, man, he's still Sounds great. Mountain of Love, Mountain of Love. Yeah. That was one of my favorite songs. We did a thing with them at the pageant a few years ago with Johnny and my band. It was, it was just a really great time. What, I mean, when you first started playing with him and guys like Johnny Johnson, did you feel intimidated? Like these guys are just yeah, I'm up still, here. I'm still intimidated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, it was funny because, uh, and the way that happened with Johnny Rivers, I was working on his Johnny Johnson CD. Cut him off. <laughs> yeah, yeah So anyway, that's kind of how I met Johnny Rivers. I just called him up and see if he wanted to come in and play on something. So we kind of struck up a friendship. But Johnny Rivers has been a really, really nice guy to me, and I've enjoyed our friendship. You know what I mean? So uh, you know, I, he calls me up periodically out of the blue about stuff. You know, it's yeah. Like, Kind of cool, you know, because Johnny Rivers, man. Yeah, you know, he had all those songs, deal. Secret Agent Man, and yeah. Rock and the Morning, Boogie Woogie Fit, all those things. He had, I think, like nine top tens, and I think he had 16 top 20s. Yeah. Just to give you a quick example, though, I mean, uh, one day where it's uh, a girlfriend and I out, it's, it's this major tornado comes through the St. Charles area, so we duck into this coals, you know, and we run in there and we go go back in the back room, they put everybody in the back room, hide out. Storm blows over. I go out to my car, get back in the car, I see I have this message. I thought, hey, it's one of my sisters worried about if I'm okay or whatever. I listen to the message. Johnny Rivers is calling from Beverly Hills. He's like, hey, I saw on the national news you guys had a tornado. Just call to see if you and Danette are okay. Wow. That's pretty cool, you know. And you know, with Johnny Rivers, like what a lot of people don't realize with him, I mean, A, he discovered Jimmy Webb, the songwriter, signed him to his contract. He, he, uh, he opened the Whiskey A Go-Go. He started that whole dance. I forgot about that. That's he right. was the house band there for two years. He discovered the Fifth Dimension, produced their albums, had the publishing and all that stuff. And so, I mean, he's, he's uh, back he's in the He's a heavyweight, man. Yeah, yeah, he is. So he's a quiet heavyweight in that business. had his own hits, but in the background, yeah. he, he made it happen for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Johnny Rivers. Because, like, Mountain of Love, I love that song. I, I sing it every time we play. You know, so. <laughs> so, uh Smash, for you, um, again, you said you were pretty much into music pretty early. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you knew you wanted to play. You knew you wanted to... Uh, you knew that you wanted to get involved in music. Yeah. How'd you get involved in the radio industry? I was a relatively well-known guy in Indianapolis from being in our bands, uh, Frenchie and the Wee Wees, Pure Funk, and Roadmaster. Uh, and on Friday nights, they used to have Celebrity DJ Night. And the mayor would come in and play his favorite records for an hour. Uh, the Indiana Pacers, 500 race car drivers. And one day they invited me to come on in. So I brought a Peaches crate of all my favorite albums. And I just did what I did with the band. Sing a song, 
tell a joke. Sing a song and tell a joke. Sing a song and tell a joke. And that's what I did. And so the crazy part about it is they showed me how the board works and everything, but I didn't pay attention figuring they're going to have an engineer to run that thing. So they didn't. They left me there by myself. I'm playing two or three songs at the same time, commercials going on. And I'm thinking, oh, these guys are going to kill me at the end of the thing. When they, they, they came back just laughing their asses off. And the following Tuesday, that was a Friday, they offered me a job, midnight to six, for $90 a week. Back in those days, we were trying to be rock stars, so we were playing all over the place, all over the Midwest. Had an album out. and at the end of seven days, maybe playing 10 gigs in seven days, you make $50. And they offer me 90 And I'm thinking, wait a minute, 90 I don't have to leave town. Uh, so I went to the radio business, man. That's how I, that's how I got in the radio business. And uh, what made me stick in the radio business was what's called the uh, personal appearance. And there was a record store in Indianapolis, Karma Records. And uh, they invited me to come over there and shake hands and kiss babies and say, sell albums. And they gave me 50 bucks for an hour. Wow. Yeah. That was 1977. And I remember working a week for $50. And I said, 50 bucks in an hour? I'm in. And that's how I stayed in business. That sounds good. That's how I stayed in the business, man. That's great. And then I learned the science of it and the art of it and applied it. Learned the smash, smash style. Learned the board. And uh, you know, somebody asked me the other day, "Who'd you listen to?" I don't listen too many to too many guys. The guys I listen to. I listened to make sure I wasn't like them. Yeah, there you go. Because when you like somebody, you ain't nobody. Yep, it's true. Um, so I was going to ask you too about. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah. That's, that's words to live by. By Smash. Uh, I was going to ask you too. How'd you come up with the name Smash? The nickname. Obviously, uh, it's not your birth name. Personal opinion. <laughs> this is great. Personal opinion. <clears throat> I always gave the guys in the band phony names. Uh, this was in the Roadmaster band. And um, everybody had a phony name. I had a phony name too. I used to love Nat King Cole, who was a crooner type of singer. Right. And uh, there was a movie out at the time. I weighed about 400 pounds and, and went three years without a haircut and was just, I looked like an animal. And uh, I named myself Nat King Kong. And I was Nat King Kong for about six months. And it wasn't really taken. But uh, Toby Myers, who wound up going on to play with Mellencamp, and he and I were rooming one night in Chicago we were playing. And uh, he wakes me up about 3 in the morning and says, I got it. I said, it better be good. He said, I got a name for you. Okay, what is it? The Mighty Adam, A-D-A-M, Smasher, he said. Mighty Adam Smasher. I said, that's it. And so I became the Mighty Adam Smasher because of my singing style. It's kind of like explosive. So Adam Smasher. And eventually uh, just uh, 
shortened to Smash. So you were Adam Smasher in Indiana when yeah. you were on the radio, right? I was an Adam Smasher a little bit in D.C. and sagged into the Smash. When I got here, I was a Smash. So nobody ever knew you as Adam Smasher here? No. Okay. No. Yeah, I was going to say, when I was uh, looking you up years ago, I remember seeing what happened to Adam Smasher. Yeah, thought, right. Why is this coming up when I type in Smash? Uh -huh. So there you go. Uh, so let's let's kind of talk a little bit about the Let's Go Blues song. Yeah, no absolutely. reason we're meeting up. So again, uh, Gene and I stupidly talked way before we started recording. But I want to get your guys' opinion about just kind of walk me through the process. When you, it was, I'm guessing it was you that had the idea to make the song, correct? Well, not necessarily, because after we had had the success with Gotta Go to Work, yeah. I think we both said, hey, let's try to do something for the blues, because, yeah. you know, that was coming up, and, you know, we, if my memory serves me right, we pretty much started that one from scratch together. Yeah, we did. You know, and, and so we hooked That's up. That's a killer song, man. And yes, the is. groove on that thing, I was telling yeah. you, I said the groove on that, and, the, and yeah. Johnny's piano on that, and yeah. everything about it. I don't know why they don't use that to this day. Yeah, I agree. I ain't saying this in the wrong way, and I know blues, you might be listening. And I ain't saying this in the wrong way. But why a lot of these sports operations go to rap, and I understand they're trying to get a younger audience, but you know, you got a lot of 40-plus demographics in there that yeah. dig that kind of stuff that Let's Go Blues is all about. Don't forget that crap. St. Yeah. Louis Blues. It's it? music. It's a game. You know, let's go back to, to yeah. what this was about. I agree. But that's personal opinion, of course. No, I'm with you. I think well, a lot of people agree with you. You know, and, you know, some people will say, well, it had a little bit of a feeling to it, sort of like got to go to work, and it did from the standpoint we wanted to kind of use that crowd thing again. Yeah. So, you know, where we'd be like, you know, come on, St. Louis, and we had like about 20 or 30 people in the studio. Let's go, dudes. We want to have that real powerful. Yep. So it sounded like you were at a game or you're in a bar. Exactly. And here's the guys in the band. So we kind of formatted it like that. But we, that was one, that song, we pretty much, if my memory serves me right, we pretty much started that from scratch. I have a line, smash it, I have yeah. a line, or ah, let's do this, or let's change this. And I mean, I had the music thing to make sure that we had uh, uh, room for uh, Johnny Johnson to do his solo and, and play it in the key that he liked to play in and all this sort of stuff. And we had the horns in there. And so we just started putting the lines together. And, you know, when we do the thing, come on, St. Louis, Louis, let's go blues. And then Smash came up with some killer lines in there, like all over the hockey university, notice the news. Everybody's <laughs> digging on the same Louis Blues. Yep. Yeah. And that's just, that was a wonderful line that song. You know? And he came up, I remember him coming up with the, he about the part about the, with that Al McKinnis slap shot. Because I'll be honest with you, I, I'm a sports guy, but I don't know a whole lot about hockey. So I said, well, let's do it like this, we'll have him yell this, but who's some of the guys and what do they do? You know, yeah, right. Smash, well, Al McKinnis, man, he's got a kick ass slap shot, let's use this. And where were some of the other players yeah. at the time? So we inserted those things and we made it. But we made it a, a fun kind of crowd participation song. Yeah. And, and then, I mean, Smash. I can tell you too, I mean, at the end of it, we just had this jam thing going on. Yeah. The band was grooving. It was. Kenny Rice is playing this shuffle drum beat, and Johnny's playing killer piano, and I don't know if it was Smash or who said, well, Ray Bomber, who's the sax player, was yeah. Smash. He goes, man, somebody just needs to play. Let's play, let's go in the St. Louis Blues. Yeah. And, 
like I would be. I'm like, no, are you sure? That, are you sure that's gonna work? Because we got this. Let's try it. You know. Yeah, so works. we did it, man, and it sounded beautiful, fantastic. Yeah. That yeah. last jam there at the end is a lot of people's favorites. Yeah. yeah. People hear that on our show and they're like, man, that should be the whole song right there. Yeah. Well, Ray and Johnny are kind of playing off of each other. Yeah. You know. You know, Ray's like, you know, then Johnny's doing his thing, and Ray goes back. The horns, we had our, some of Smash's horns, some of my horns. I think we might have had Ray McAnallen on the trombone on that thing, too, or whatever. It was, yeah. and all that stuff was fun. We go down to the studio with all the guys, and especially when you bring the crowd in there to sing the backups, and Johnny and everything, man. It's just magical, magical times, man. And it carried on from there. We uh, uh, co-wrote a song called uh, Bennett Fever. Bennett Fever for the Cardinals, man. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's a good song too. I, I've got that one. That's saved. a rocking tune. Man. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, we were, so, I'll just say this. Oh, what? Beside the fact that between Smash and me and our respective bands that were both involved in this. One of the key components of this was Johnny Johnson because just yeah. having him in there, the magic. You know, you can play music yeah. and you're, you are what you are, but man, when Johnny stepped in and started playing, yeah. it just brings you up to another level. And I knew somebody asked me it one gives time. gives it a tonality that, that's unique into itself, as was rock and roll as he's helped start it. You know, yeah. Somebody asked me one time, we were doing an interview, they said, well, did you kind of know, like, on God Go to Work, that you had a pretty good song? I said, well, yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good, but once Johnny came down and played, yeah. and we heard the playback, I thought, hey, we got a pretty darn good song. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And the same thing on Let's Go Blues. Yeah. You know? Let's Go Blues is killer. And I remember when they, when they, uh, after we did that, the blues had, uh, these highway billboards. I got a couple photos of these. And it's kind of like, you know, when you're going with some girl, you know, you say like, you have your song, like maybe it's Let's Stay Together by Al Green right. or something. The highway billboard said, she thinks our song is Let's Go Blues. <laughs> I still got photos of that. Nice. You know, of those highway billboards. And then they had Smash and we come down. They had Smash. Oh yeah, that's down. right. They played the song when they were introducing the yeah, players. That's they right. skate out on the Eyes. And we're sitting back there, it's like, yeah, oh, man, that's our song on the yep. jumbo track. Yeah. That's, that's got to be a crowding achievement for you guys. It's just felt great to be part yeah. of and, you know, and it was all carryover from what had happened with the Rams. Yeah. This town was on fire yeah, with it the was. sports. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what the crowning achievement was for me? What's that? Because he and I had a falling out after. Uh, after the uh, Cardinal song. Is that why there is no more songs made no, in St. Louis? I don't know, I don't know about that. <laughs> but the crowning achievement is that we have returned to our friendship, man. Right on Tonight, the right here. Oh, I'm just it's kidding. Been before, no, it's been before <laughs> I know, that. I know. Yeah. And you know, uh, yeah, I was going to say something about us about going back with that, and I lost my train of thought, but you're absolutely right about it. No, you said. That's why there's been no more. The reason there's been no more, what Smash was talking about earlier. Yeah. You know, they went all like 
And we ain't saying this in the, in the wrong way. No. They want they, they the young, want, they yeah, want the, they want the rap stuff and all they that. They want the young exactly. and stuff like that. And, yep. you know, and I remember, uh, and I remember that, you know, after we had done these songs and we had done Pennant Theater, and you kind of learn certain little things each time you went along, or what we could do better or whatever. Yeah. So we have Pennant Fever, and I've got this thing packaged up, and I'm sending it yeah. all the radio stations. I'm sending it to Mike Shannon at the Cardinals. I'm sending it to the Cardinals ownership and all this kind of stuff. And I've got it out there so that maybe we can have some really big-time success. And, hey, who knows what? So... Driving, and I've, I've really done all my work on this thing. Everybody has it. You know, okay. I called the various media people around when we were doing Gotta Go to Work, but Gene hustled that thing. Man. I did. Right. He but, did. And I remember, I'm driving through, I'm, I'm, so I'm driving through Herman, Missouri, and I get a call from the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh, wow. Yeah, Gene, this is Fred Hanser for the St. Louis Cardinals. I got your CD, Pennant Fever. I'm like, yeah, man. I said, because I, I love the song. I just want to tell you, you can't play it. You can't send it out to anybody. You can't come down to any of the rallies and sell it down here or anything. This is proprietary uh, material, and it belongs to us, and you can't do anything with it. Wow. I'm like, what? And so that, so this is what happens. And then 30 days later, you got uh, little little Willie or what was the guy's name? So the rapper down there was. I, I want to get it right because I don't want to keep. I, I don't know, little, but I little know what you. It was <laughs> it was little uh, little Wayne or somebody like oh, that. Oh, little Wayne. Yeah, and they had a they had a, a song and by the Cardinals, and they were playing it all over the place. Wow. So yeah. I just thought, hey, well, you know. Times have changed. Yeah, times change. Yeah, Man, Not, that's a change. Nothing, nothing against those guys. I'm just yeah. saying it's it's like it's a different style. Yeah. It's like everything else. You know, guys that are our age. That yeah. Are people like Rod Stewart and these guys, they can't get their songs on the radio. Yeah, it all right. Belongs to the hipsters. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. So. Anyway, and the hipsters ain't all that hip, man. No, no. <laughs> no Personal opinion, of course. No. Yeah. <laughs> they need to change that word, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so what's it your guys' favorite? It would, be fun. It would uh, be fun to do another tune like that, though. You Let's should. go. Let's do it. Let's update the lyrics to the blues song. Let's yeah. Play it. This could be the year, man. That's what they've been saying for a long time, but this could be. It's completely possible they've had a big summer. You never know. All right, Gene. We have a task before us. <laughs> there we go. Oh, I love it. All right. Yeah. I love it. Uh, well, let me ask you, you're a Blues fan. Do you believe the hype? Do you think this could be the year? You know, I believe it could be, and, and I'm one of these guys who believes it could be, not only based on the talent on the team, but daggone it, isn't it time? Yeah. You know what I'm <laughs> yes. saying? Isn't it time? Yes. And, I mean, the, the, the team's got the talent and all that, but isn't it time? Yep. And at some point, that time is going to land. That chronology is going to say, this is the blue season. Here it comes. Why not now? Yeah. That's the way I see it. Yep. Uh, when you wrote the song in 01, that was the year they went to the Western Final, uh -huh. did you think that that might have been the year? I mean, you already had it happen with Gotta Go to Work, right? Well, the thing about it was when, when I saw that they were going like that, I thought, my God, if we're going to have another Gotta Go to Work here, only blues style? I was like, whoa, like that. But, uh, you know, 
it was what it was and you know I'm just thinking what we're talking about we resurrect it with a, a modern touch as far as wordage and names are concerned maybe even put some electronic stuff in there I don't know we could we could modernize it in a way I'm you know, loving this call I'm little call this. little Wayne see they'll come on over and throw some rap in I'm serious yeah. we throw some rap in the middle of it and uh, extend Johnny's solo alright and in the extension you throw the rap don't hide Johnny's solo because that's a major part of it but then you throw the rap in there and you combine and now you're meeting two demographics two generations all of a sudden you got a hit you're getting me too excited you can't you can't talk like this that's because you can like you say like <laughs> extend Johnny's solo you can cut and paste yeah. on Pro Tools and right. all that oh, yeah. stuff you can yeah. move this here and yep. just like anything else change so. words up yeah right that's what we're going to do Gene I like it brother. I love it I love oh, it they just shook hands you heard it here first it. I heard oh it first. my lord this yeah. is uh, this is the best that I could have ever hoped for. Yeah, it's your fault. <laughs> it is my fault. Maybe you guys work more. Um, so I wanted to ask you too, player reaction besides the Cardinal one with the, the management, any kind of management reaction from either the Blues or Rams that you guys overheard? Well, I was uh, always kind of like stuck uh, close to the management because I worked that end of it. Gene, Gene was the hustler on this whole thing. I made the management call. So in other words, he, let's call it this way just for the sake of imagery. He was the worker, the blue collar guy. I was the white collar guy getting in and then he made the delivery. So between the two of us, we made it happen, you know? And uh, you know, I understand management's got to play to the future. But gone it. I see a lot of old people buying those big ass hot dogs over there. You yeah, know? I do too. Pardon my language. There. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. We're not on the radio. But uh, but you know that demographic, that 40 plus demographic, should not be forgotten because they're the ones creating that 40 and under demographic. Yep. First of all, that's yep. going to be your new audience, and without saying anything incorrect. That 40 plus demographics has got the money. Yeah. It ain't the kids that's got the money. It's true. It's the 40 plus that's got the money. I agree. Hey, but don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. Yeah, I think a, the other thing is, I think in all these sports songs, when we did these, there wasn't, people weren't necessarily doing those. Now, today, you hear everybody try to put these little things yeah. together. And, and, you know, and I, I, I'm always grateful. Jason Corcoran has said on the air yeah. many times, got to go to work. He thought, in his opinion, was one of the best sports songs ever. It is. I agree. You know, and we talk about like some of the management stuff, and I remember getting a call from Dick Vermeil's office, I've got to go to work. Hey, man, Dick Vermeil loves his song, and I know Smash yep. knew his wife, and she was. Well, as I was getting ready to say, because his wife was, you know how these radio shows, they'll have a color commentator the day after the game? Well, I thought... Wouldn't it be cool to have the wife of the coach as opposed to one of the players? But we were able to get Dick Vermeil's wife, and so we were able to get into Dick Vermeil by his wife digging and got to go to work. And, you know, off the blue subject, you're going back real quick on the got to go to work thing. So this thing, got to go to work, is always probably going to be connected with that championship yeah. season, I think, okay, right? Yeah. So when it's all said and done, and if you recall back, uh, 
in the Chicago Bears, uh, what was that song that they had called? Uh, oh, some the kind of shuffle. Uh, uh, yeah. Super Bowl shuffle. Super Bowl shuffle. shuffle. Yep. And that was a big deal in Chicago. Anyway, so we, we go through all this stuff, and, and the town was kind of sort of electrified by yeah. the, the Rams and part yeah. of our song. And so it's all said and done. So I contact the Rams said, I've got an idea. How about us coming over? This was Smash. It was mine and Smash's idea. And uh, how about us coming over to Rams Park, either at the Dome or we can do it at Rams Park. Oh, yeah. And right next door to Rams Park over there, they used to go over the bridge and they had these uh, pianos with that Ludwig Aeolian show. I said, we'll get a blue piano and a gold piano and have them on the 50-yard line, which was his idea. And we will have the Rams players and the Rams cheerleaders. And we'll have Johnny Johnson at one piano and, you know, whatever, me or somebody else at the other one. And and we'll do Gotta Go to Work, and the Rams are singing along with us, and do this, we'll put it all out there. I'll do all the expense of putting it all together. We get 50% of it, and the Rams get 50% that they can go to the Rams Foundation or whatever they're gonna do. But we get half of it, yeah. and, and I front the money to make it happen. And they turned us down on that. I, yeah. I just, oh, I, was, yeah. I could not believe that. That would've yeah. been phenomenal. Yeah. People would've eaten that up in the oh, what a, it would, it, Everybody, everybody would have made a lot of money on yep. that, and it would have just been so cool. And I never did understand why they, you know, they, they kind of had a lame excuse. They said, well, you know, doing it like a couple days after the Super Bowl, a lot of the players are leaving town or whatever, you know. I, said, I remember. Yeah. Well, I said, well, then uh, we'll do it when they come back to training camp, you know. We can do it then, it'll still be hot, you know, but I mean, we'll just do it. I said, we can do it the day, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's okay, because they won, the, they won the Super Bowl, and it was just euphoria everywhere. Yeah. You know. You're telling me London Fletcher, Kurt Warner, those guys wouldn't have done that? They, they would have loved oh, to have done it. Oh, yeah. I remember. That reminds me, I remember we were down at one of the rallies in Smash, man, I always loved it. So we're down there at one of the rallies, and I remember Smash, it was cold, man. Smash had this big coat on oh, and yeah. stuff. And so, uh, oh, De I was DeMarco Farr. So Smash said something, he's like, hey, give me a, a hit like you would do or something like that. <laughs> You know, DeMarco Farr, man, nailed Smash, ran from across the stage, tackled me like, like a tackling dummy, which I was for inviting him to do so. Yeah, I was going to say. Oh, man, and the, here's, here's, the, here's the thing about it. I had to act like it didn't hurt because... Oh, of course. But, oh, that hurt so bad. You had some padding. You did have some padding on with that big coat. Uh -huh. Wow. Yep. Well, you asked for it. I did. <laughs> I did. Guys, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're yep. coming up on about an hour, so I want to. Okay. Yeah, we're uh, we're killing it. This wow. is great. Um, I wanted to go ahead and give you guys the opportunity for the Smash Band, for Butch Wax, and the Hollywoods. Uh, how can people book you? Uh, where they can find you online? All that. Well, I tell you what. When it comes to uh, great events bands, you can't beat either one of these bands, yeah, I man. I agree with that. Either one of these bands. And so, uh, you can always get hold of us at smashband.com, no matter what the event, whether it's us or whether it's Butch Wax, you can always count on nothing but a good time. Our slogan is bring in the party, and that's what we do, we bring the, the party. 
these guys play almost like a, a parallel or parallel type of bands. So in the reality, you have opportunity. If you can't get Smash Band, get Bushwax. If you can't get Bushwax, get Smash Band, and you're going to have a party. You know? Absolutely. And I mean, Smash has been doing it with his Smash Band for how many years? Well, 21 years uh, for here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 50, 50, 51 years being in bands. Wow. Yeah. So I've had Bushwax for 33 years, and we've done that continuously, just like Smash has continuously. And I'm just grateful for all the people that have had us play for them and uh, fans that we have and everything. They can look us up at butchwax.net. And like Smash said, we, we play a lot of the same venues. You know, they're there one month, we're there the following month or whatever. And it's just been, uh, yeah. it's, it's cool. We've got a lot of guys in this band that filled in for yeah. us when we need and vice versa. Yep. So, yeah. Any uh, social media accounts you guys want to share or is that all private? Social media? Yeah, it's up uh, to you. We got Smash Band St. Louis. Okay. Uh, you can check that out. Digging the Smash is, a, is one of mine where you can check out the various things I do. Uh, I work for three radio stations around the country right now and do commercials for the people around the country and put all that okay. stuff out over there. Cool. It's on YouTube, okay. right? I have a YouTube channel, Digging the Smash TV. It's pretty okay. cool. Yeah, I've yeah. seen it. Oh, have you? Oh, right. yeah, of course. Cool. So, <laughs> I'm, very I'm thorough. Right on. <laughs> Salute. Yeah. Are you still doing a thing where you're doing like in your car? I've seen some of those things. In yeah, car. yeah, that's uh, Digging the Smash TV. Okay, that's called Drive Talking, like Jive Talking? That's right, right. right. Drive Talking. That's a great line. Yeah. Right I was waiting. To, I thought maybe we were going to have Paul McCartney on there like that. Uh, oh, uh, the, the carpool karaoke. Yeah. Yeah, the carpool yeah, carryover. No, this is just me, thing. like a I think it's talking to a friend who's sitting in the other seat. I think it's great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, part of my deal is I feel sorry for the kids out there. You know, I'm sorry. I'm like a dad ranting on these kids. Oh yeah. So <laughs> I'm with you, man. Just fun. Just having fun, you know. Well, you know, it's kind of crazy because, I mean, we had, and we're older guys, but we had, you know, our bases, the Beatles, the Stones, Temptations, that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking these kids nowadays, what are they going to have when they're, uh, they're our age? I like big butts in the can, I'm lying. I mean, that's not like... My girl, my girl, talking about my girl. It's not I the same type of bomb you sing that song. Oh, that's phenomenal. I'm going to have to put that at the beginning of the show. It's funny you're singing my girl. Actually, when we get done wrapping this up, I'm going to meet my buddy Theo Peoples. Oh, yeah. Theo, yeah, uh, Theo sings with him. Theo sings with him. Theo was one of, one of the originals, not one of the originals, but he sang with the Temptations and the Four Tops. Yep. And, uh, you know, when he's around town, he comes out and sings with us. That's a lot of fun, you know. But uh, that's what you need to do. We need to get together sometime and have Theo come out with us. Let's go. Let's do it. Get him on the blues song. Why not? Hey. There you go. Smash the field, man. There you go. Have Little Wayne doing the rap. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put in a good word for you. I'll send him a tweet uh, about this. That would be fun. <laughs> well, thank you a lot, guys. I really appreciate you guys. Oh, thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. <laughs> I was blown away when uh, they shook hands and agreed to possibly uh, do this song again. They're serious about it. The, the conversation continued after I turned the recorder off, so... 
This is a very real thing here. I'm very, very excited. Probably more excited than I should be, but anyone who loves that song as much as me, again, just a, just a, God, such a good tune to know that there could be another version coming out with current players listed, uh, mentioned to the Enterprise Center, possibly a new take and a, a 2018 sound. I mean, my head just is, is spinning right now. And, and when they were talking about it, it just, I don't know if you could tell the sincerity in my voice, but I was blown away and I am so excited. So stay tuned to us at LGB Radio as well as my Twitter, at jponder94. If I hear any progress on this, I will be uh, tweeting this out, but it sounds like if you want to hear the new version first, you're going to have to listen to Let's Go Blues Radio, because that is where it's going to debut, which is big news for us, and I'm so excited because, ah, yeah, I can't even say it anymore. I'm done. I'm done. I'll stop talking about it. We're not done, folks. We're not done. We still got... Something really exciting to get to, another blues podcast, The Drop, with Lance DeScott. He's coming at you, folks, and he's coming at you right now. Well, today I'm very honored to be joined by Lance from The Drop Podcast, which you can find his show at droppodcast.com and on iTunes, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. You can also follow his show account on Twitter at drophockeyshow.com. Lance, thanks for joining me. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Pretty good, pretty good. Now, you are a uh, someone who joins us a lot uh, for our live shows, and um, you've kind of come on a lot towards the end of a lot of our, our, uh, our regular, regularly scheduled shows. Uh, what attracted you to Let's Go Blues Radio? Well, it, it's fun to go on because there's a lot of good banter. There's disagreements. It's just fun talking about blues hockey with three guys that love the blues as much as I do. But we're also all very opinionated, and sometimes we're positive, and uh, sometimes we're negative. And last year, uh, there was a lot of uh, negativism. <laughs> yes, there was a little too much negativity, yes. but I think it was warranted. Um, so I want to ask you before we get into to talking about your show and the blues, um, you've mentioned a couple times before that you used to play goal uh, in your younger days. So um, where did you play and, and uh, was it ice roller or uh, a street? How, how, uh, what level did you make it to? Shockingly enough, I can actually ice skate better than I can roller skate. And a lot of people think that's nuts because they think roller skating is harder. But when you, I mean, ice skating is harder, but when you learn on the ice and then go to roller skates, I had a huge issue, especially when you go to, to uh, stop and I couldn't stop very well on the roller blades. Uh, <laughs> but um, I played hockey in some organized leagues around Granite City, Illinois. And uh, I've played uh, pickup games. I was in a, a what you would call a beer league for a while. Uh, I played up until I had a stroke in 2011. Uh, just been playing since I was about seven years old when I moved out here from California. Moved from California? Where at in California are you from? Uh, right around Palm Springs in a little town called Indio, California. Wow. Okay. I did not know that about you. See, this yes. is why I do this. I like to learn about all the other podcasters. So we're you learn learning something today. new every day. That's true. That's true. Uh, so 
I know your son, Logan, was involved when you guys first started. Was he the one that uh, came up with the name of the show, or was that kind of a group effort? Uh, it, it was a group effort because he wanted to have something to deal with, you know, the drop, you drop the puck, it's time to drop the gloves. It kind of encompasses several different things when it comes to hockey. Uh, a lot of people didn't get it at first, but most people finally did get it. Uh, we started out on YouTube with some shows and got some pretty good uh, feedback. But as you know, it's it's hard on YouTube. It just really is so hard to do anything to monetize your YouTube page, number one, to get an audience going, number two. There's very few hockey shows on YouTube that do very well. So we decided, to, I actually decided to go into doing a podcast. And uh, Logan, as you said, my son, said, Dad, that's old technology. Nobody listens to the radio anymore. anymore. Nobody listens to podcasts. So every month at the end of the month when I show him the thousands of downloads that I've got, the thousands of listeners that I got, I have to rub it in a little bit. So, <laughs> Yeah, what do those millennials know, right? Yeah, th- th- this old man isn't as stupid as he looks, I guess. That's right. That's right. Um, so can Logan pronounce Bernie Federko now? No, he actually still has problems. I still tease him and say, you know, the guys are wanting to put that on their intro at Let's Go Blues Radio when you said Bernie Fre- Bernie Fre- Bernie Frederico. <laughs> He's like, Dad, it's hard to say. I said, go ahead and say it. And he still, about once out of every six times he says it, he'll pronounce it, and I have to clap for him because it's just one of those it's one of those names he gets mixed up. And he would get, when we had our YouTube show, he would say, stay tuned for our next show or stay tuned, this is coming up later. Almost every time he would say stick tune instead of stay tune. Yep. Those are there's just certain words with him that he that he got messed up, but it was a good time doing it with my son, you know, kind of teaching him about hockey. You know, I had season tickets for years, club seats. I actually think he he first of all enjoyed the food and the free soda. Of course. Of course, before he got into hockey. But once he got into hockey, the food and the soda were just secondary. Of course. Yeah. No, I uh I remember going to those games when I was a kid and my dad always just buying me anything I wanted, soda, pretzels, whatever to make me happy. So uh, I think every dad goes through that at some point. So Yeah, uh, I I was spoiled. My dad worked for a company when we moved out here from California that had eight front row seats, actually four front row and four second row seats behind uh, the Blues uh, Defend Twice section in the old bar in the Checkerdome, and that was in 76. Uh, nobody wanted to go to the game. So we always got the tickets and there was a club in there called the dome club. And you could go in, in between periods and before the game, get steaks, get burgers, get ice creams, get flaming cherries, Jubilee, get drinks. And the owner of the company would give my dad that dome club card. So we would just go there before the game, go in there between the periods, enjoy the blues. I got to see Bernie Federico and I did pronounce it right. His first game. I got to see Brian Sutter's first game. Mike Leute's first game when the Blues signed him from Cincinnati. I uh, got to see a lot of firsts with the Blues. It was really exciting for me as a young kid. So uh, when uh, what year would you say was it that you really became a, a true fan of the Blues? I would say I was hooked after the first game. The very first game that I saw, if I remember correctly, and like again, I was only six, seven years old, um, Keith Magnuson and the Blackhawks uh, played against the Blues, and I believe it was Phil Meir or Ed Stanowski, one of the two in goal, and it was a zero-to-zero tie. 
there were more penalties in that game and more fights than I have seen since then. That was back when nobody wore helmets. I think there was one player on the ice that did, and the players picked on him, and he's the one that got the worst beatings out of all of them. And I was just addicted from the game, from the first game. Oh, that's awesome. Ed Stanowski. Um, Jeremy Rutherford told me when he was writing his book that there was a, a playoff game that he couldn't find any stats for. But people always talk about this insane playoff game where Stanowski made like 42 saves and they ended up winning. But even hockey reference, they didn't, there was nothing. He had to yeah, go I, I through think, the bottles of the post-dispatch to find it. I think I actually remember that game. And there was, because I remember telling my dad, I can't believe they've got over 40 shots on goal. Yeah. And I don't know who it was against, but I, I now that you say that, I kind of have, I kind of remember that. And it was a crazy game. It was a physical game, but the Blues just, their defense was very porous that night. And Stanowski just saved it for him. So who was your, uh, your idol growing up? My idol at first, of course, was uh, Bernie Federko. Um, but uh, the goaltenders were always my fancy. Uh, I like Ken Dryden uh, with Montreal because he was so successful. Uh, I also like John Davidson, and that's not just – I'm not just saying that because he became the Blues general manager and vice president. But uh, I liked him with the Rangers and with the Blues. Um, but my favorite goalie of all time would have to be Mike Liute, and I know a lot of Blues fans love Curtis Joseph. And don't get me wrong, Curtis Joseph was great uh, – my brother was in a car accident in 93 and was in the Cardinal Glennon. And my Curtis Joseph came up and spent about 30, 40 minutes with him up in the hospital. So I'll always think kindly of Curtis Joseph. But, man, Mike Lee, it was my kind of guy. You know, I was a taller guy, lanky. And uh, he just was one of those goalies that was a stand-up goalie. He wasn't one of these goalies that just flailed all around on the ice and rolled all over the place. He was in control. There wasn't a lot of movement unless he had to really, you know, move a lot. And uh, I just really appreciated Mike Leute. And no wonder you and Bill Day get along. That's Bill's favorite player of all yes. time. Yes. They're very nice. Um, so the 70s Blues teams that you remember, what's, I mean, obviously you probably remember Bernie Federko just putting up point after point every game, but what stands out to you most when you look back and remember those uh, childish ch- childhood games? Well, some of them were childish, I guess, by the way I acted, but <laughs> right. um, uh I just remember, and this is just strange because for the most part, now last year we can say this didn't happen, but since I've been a Blues fan, even if the team wasn't good, you could tell the guys were just out there working hard and just trying just trying their best. And that's what I always appreciated about the Blues. You know, even when Federico wouldn't score, we had Brian Sutter and he'd rough things up a little bit and you know, we had players that, that weren't great in the 80s. A lot of players don't remember a guy named Blair Chapman. I always liked Blair Chapman because he had long hair, and it reminded me of Guy Lafleur. His hair would just kind of flow when he skated down the ice. He wore number 14 before Wickenheiser did. And I always just remember the teams always doing their best. We had some bad teams then, and, uh, you know, it wasn't the greatest time period until that 80-81 season when they really – came out and uh, that's the season they played Pittsburgh and Greg Millen in the playoffs, I believe. Uh, it was, I've just always remembered the blues being that team that no matter how talented they were or untalented, you knew you were going to get a good game 
And even if they lost five to two, you could tell the guys were still trying. I'm looking at Blair Chapman right now. He does have some flowing locks. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> uh, no, that's 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 good to hear. I think uh, that's why. I mean, people always have always said that, you know, especially nowadays, people here seem to love the fourth liners. Um, I think that's always kind of been a part of blues hockey is, uh, you know, just the, the work ethic that these teams have always had. And they always haven't had the most talented players, but they've always had guys that will – battle hard and uh, uh, go into the corners and and never uh, let a puck go uncontested. So um, I'm with you. And I think that spread into the eighties. Would you agree? Oh, it, it definitely did. Even when we had some of the more talented teams, uh, the Monday night miracle, I was actually one of the people that was actually there, but as I've told the story before they were down and uh, we left when it was five to three, cause my brother had to go, uh, he had a janitorial service and we had to go clean one of his janitorial accounts, his buildings he cleaned. And I was so upset with him. I remember sitting in his brand new Ford Ranger pickup truck that he had bought and driving home and listening to it on the radio. And every time the blues would score, I'd punch him. I was so ticked at him. I was just, we had some limited view seats behind them pillars at the old barn, but they really weren't that bad. And it was just such good times in the eighties and, you know, Mike Cron, Bean, and guys like that, and, you know, Federko and Sutter still there, Mike Leute, and then Wickenheiser came up, and Pazlowski and Rob Ramage, uh, just a lot of great players from that era. Yeah, that's uh, that's an era that uh, was right before my time. I'm I'm 90s and 2000s, so uh, we can fill in the gaps there. Both There you go. Uh, uh, so I wanted to ask you again, we're kind of, kind of, we kind of went off on a tangent there, which I enjoy doing, especially with shows such as this. Um, but I was going to ask you about Logan. So again, he was, uh, when the show started, the two of you were together and, um, it was a father son show, which was a lot of fun. Reminded me of the, the Nick and Nick shows, uh, with, <laughs> um, uh, toast dispatch, uh, pretty cool that you guys did that together. But since then he's, we haven't seen him in a while. Uh, what's happened to your son? Uh, I didn't know back then how to edit and do all that with Adobe edition. And I basically had to teach myself and, and Adobe, you know, Photoshop and for the banners and everything. And now I know how to do that. But back then, back then I didn't know how to do that. And Logan was, uh, trying to work a job. He was trying to, he was thinking about going to school and he just didn't have the time anymore to do it. Because as as you know, when you do a show, if if you're not doing a YouTube live show, if you're doing it and then editing it, and all the mistakes, because we had plenty of mistakes, but it was a lot of fun, those mistakes. Um, he just didn't have the time to do it. We'd do an episode and it would take us about two hours to record it. And I remember one time we got finished at about oh, noon, 12 o'clock, and he says, I'll be done in about five, six hours. Well, something kept happening and I came down into our uh, lower level and it was two in the morning and he was still working on it. Yeah. He says, dad, I just, I just don't have the time to do this anymore. If you want to do it, that's fine. I said, no, I think it'd be better if I just did a podcast and he's been doing really great. He's uh, working a good job. He's uh, growing up being a nice young man. And uh, now he's bigger than me. He's about six, five and uh, I'm six, four, but uh, yeah, he's uh He's getting along really, really well. He he always uh, loved being on with you guys. In fact, he was on your show uh, long before I was. Yes, he was. Yeah, I remember a couple times when you came on just you, and 
I would welcome uh, as a hey Logan's here. No, no, no. This is Lance. Okay, fine. And Lance. in fact, he won trivia against Bill Day. I think one of his first times on there. I think he did. Yeah, I think that was when he couldn't pronounce Federico. It was. <laughs> um, well, that's cool. So, uh, so you've kept it going. Uh, so, people who've never listened to the Drop Podcast, um, if they're wanting to tune into your show and get more blues coverage, what do you provide? for the blues audience that other podcasts probably don't well i think the difference with my podcast is a lot of podcasts are weekly and that there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with having a weekly podcast there's nothing wrong with having a weekly podcast and then when something big happens you know having a special podcast i mean that's what you guys do that's what a lot of podcasts do and there's nothing wrong with it it's great for blues fans and hockey fans in general i wanted to do something different I normally do some special podcasts, like I've done some this summer, not a lot. I think about six or seven of them. But my main focus is I do a podcast for every blues game. And people think I'm nuts for doing that uh, because, I mean, that's a that's over 80 games. It takes a long time to do them. I'm doing it by myself. And it's hard enough to do a podcast when you're with somebody. But when you're doing a podcast and doing all the highlights, all the goals, all the big saves with your commentary in between, with the players' uh, post-game interviews, with the coaches' post-game interviews, with other stuff NHL.com may say, and you're putting all that together, it takes a lot of time and it's hard to be able to learn how to talk about a topic, uh, you know, such as, let's say, you know, Steen didn't have a great year last year. You've got to sit there and talk about it, bring up points. And you've got to do it in an educational manner, but you've got to do it in a professional manner too. You can't, you know, you got to know what you're talking about. And I kind of bring a little bit different with doing a podcast after every blues game, because some people either they miss the game, they want to relive the game and they can go back and go back two and a half years, I believe, and listen to every single highlight the blues had. Uh, Most of the saves, I don't do all of them. You know, if I find a clip and it, it says, uh, you know, uh, McDavid comes in on Jake Allen. Oh, a good save. I don't put that in there. But I try to get most of the good saves, all of the goals and everything. That way people can kind of go back and live those old games that maybe they went to with their kids or maybe they went to with their wife. It was a first game. And they can remember that. And that's kind of what I like to do that's different. Yeah. So I've discovered uh, this summer doing a podcast by myself maybe just the opens and closes for each show, but I've been doing it by myself. And I find that it's difficult to, to make sure that one, you're being informative and entertaining. And two, that you're not cracking awful jokes. Um, those are the two hardest things for me because when I crack <laughs> a bad joke on let's go blues radio with, with Kurt and bill, they'll say something and, and we turn it into something funny because they're making fun of me when I'm by myself. I don't have that. So those are the two hardest things I've found. That's what about it. you? You you do a show by yourself. Would you agree with that? Or is there something else that another hurdle that you're discovering every time you do a show? Uh, before I do a show, I kind of go over the tone of it, what I'm going to say. And it's kind of hard to not have somebody to bounce it off of. Yeah. I mean, I can bounce it off Logan sometimes, but he always has something different than I want to do anyway. And I don't like what he wants to do. And I'm the one doing the show. So but that is hard. And when you tell a joke, I mean, I can go back and edit it, but still when you tell that joke and when you're done, you're like, ah, oh, damn it. 
That was stupid. <laughs> that was the stupidest thing I ever heard. Now I got to go back and cut that out and redo it. I mean, there's been times in all honesty, Jeff, that I've done a podcast that started out at an hour and a half. And most of mine are 25 to 45 minutes. I've done an hour and a half and gone through and go, oh my God, was I really that negative? I've got to, I've got to cut that 20 minutes out or I'll go back and go, oh my God, that's a lot of butt kissing. I've got to, I've got to tone that down a little bit here. I'm starting to sound like Doug Armstrong's little brother or something. Yeah. You know, I, I've got to, I've got to do something, but you're right. It's hard not to have somebody to bounce things off of. But another thing that I have a problem with when I go on your guy's show are two are the two GNC podcasts or are the blues hockey podcast with uh, Jamie Rivers and uh, Darren Kimball and, and Jim Cromer, which I've been on. It's blues NHL. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Those, there is those, a difference. Yeah. I, I know those, I know those guys are great. It's hard when you go from doing your own podcast to be able to say whatever you want to say and say it when you want to say it mm-hmm. to work with other people. Like when I'm on your show, I've gotten better at it, but at first I kept wanting to interrupt you guys every, every 20 <laughs> seconds. I want to get something in a, uh, 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 stop, uh, uh, Kurt, uh, 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 but you guys do it so well. And even when Kurt or Bill or you make a bad joke or a bad pun or come up with something, the other guys turn it into something funny or they turn it into something that, you know, that, that, uh, that uh, you didn't think would happen. You know, they kind of go, well, that was kind of stupid. You know, it's, it's great to see that interaction, but you're right. It is hard to do a podcast by yourself, but when, you get better at it. It's it's really it really makes you happy to see the end result. And I'm sure you've seen the end result from when you first started doing it. I mean, you were in the St. Louis media, and you know, I'm sure it's like that in radio. If you do a radio show by yourself and you don't have any guests, and all you're doing is clips, and you're uh, you know you're announcing sponsored and so on and so forth, it's got to be much more difficult than if you have yourself another host, and then every day you have a, a third guest host. Yeah, I mean, uh, I went on uh, multiple shows when I was with 1380 and then 5, uh, 8, 820, 920, 920. 920. Yep. Um, yeah, so when I was 1380, I did a, a show, uh, Mike the Z-Man, Zarek. I went yep. on and did his blues updates, and he always says his co-hosts are his audience. So he, he <laughs> does a show by himself, and then people call in, and he talks to the, the guests, and it's it's an interesting dynamic. So when I call in, it's just him. Yeah. It's okay, me and him are you know I'm, he's going to kind of ask me a question. He'll bounce a question off me, and I'll talk about the blues for five minutes, and we'll do something else. And Hockey Bob's going to call in because that's what he does. And, uh, and uh, then I moved over and started doing the, the morning after with Tim McKernan, uh, Doug Vaughn, and Jimmy the Cat Hayes. And I got three people wanting to talk while I'm talking, and I'm like, oh man, this is so different and uh and it, it, same here like i said with uh doing the the show by myself here it's just kind of been okay jeff you got to record this intro you got to mention this this and this it's just and then when we do our live show like we did last week it's just so different it's yeah, uh, it, oh okay yeah. don't don't just talk the whole time because you got other people <laughs> to talk <laughs> yeah i i used to listen to that show with with tim mckernan and i don't know how you would ever get a word in I, I really, really don't because he is a talker. I've met him and he is a talker. He's that way all the time. He, yep. he loves to talk. And 
you know, I've been on radio shows. I, I go on the Rip Nottemeyer show talking sports over in Carlisle on 96.7 FM. I'm on there every couple months, sometimes every month talking about the blues and it's a little different dynamic. You got to keep your mouth shut. And when you feel the opportunity to say something, say it, uh, sound professional and uh, don't flub up. That's right. So I'm going to ask you an off the wall question, but Uh-oh. I know you're prepared to answer it. I've been studying all day. Yeah, that's right. If you were podcasting about something else other than the St. Louis Blues, what would it be about? This is going to be very strange. Oh, I'm excited. I had a Cardinals podcast and it did very well, but I I mean it was it did better than this podcast does. I was getting oh, 60, 70, 80,000 downloads for every episode that I did. But wow. it's it was just so imagine going through a nine inning, three and a half hour game and getting all the great plays and doing it for a series. I would do it per series. So I would take a three game series and I would start, okay, the, the Cardinals played, I would watch the game. I'd go down in my studio. I would get all the highlights edited. You know, I might have my ending, you know, the Cardinals won this game five to two. Let's hope they can continue the streak. They've won two. They really need to. They're three games back in the next game. So-and-so is going to be pitching and then I would stop it. And then I'd start my, you know, after they played the next game, I did that for every single Cardinals game. You think 82 blues games is hard. Imagine doing it for every Cardinals game. I can't imagine. I mean, it was worth it. I got a lot of followers and I still, I haven't done an episode in a year with that. And I still get about 2,500 downloads a month. And I I'm like, this is crazy. It just shows you what a crazy baseball town it is. But you're going to find this shocking. I watch a lot of um, strange stuff on YouTube. <laughs> no. That yeah. Uh, I I like those missing shows, like missing, missing national parks, uh, people that are missing, you know, kids that go missing, adults that go missing. I would probably do like a, uh, like the Walsh guys, you know, where the sun had that America's most wanted. I would probably do a missing show and go over stories of these people that are missing, have interviews with the police that were on the case, talk to the relatives, you know, get the word out there that, hey, these people are still missing. They've been missing for five years. If you have any information, call this number. I've always wanted to do that, and I'm actually thinking of starting something like that. I just don't know if I have the time to do that because I want to help somebody. You know, the Blues podcast is fun. And it, I guess it maybe helps somebody when it comes to educating them about hockey and maybe having them look at things in a different light. Right. Uh, but uh, that is always something that I've wanted to do. Uh, I did something for about three or four er, uh, epi, or about three or four uh, uh, YouTube shows, and I'm kind of embarrassed about it. It's a scary story YouTube thing. Uh, my uh, uh, my YouTube was called Midwest Maniac, uh, the number zero, the number one. And I read scary stories like glitches in the matrix, scary stories of flying on a plane. I did that for three or four shows and I'm like, I've just got so much on my plate and I just didn't like it as much as I thought I would like it, but it would have to be like a missing persons type of a show, something like an unsolved mysteries, but for a podcast. That's a, it's an interesting idea. I, again, something I never would have guessed if I would have uh, (laughs) asked you that question before. Um, so You've been pretty vocal that uh, that people like to argue with you. And if yes. you check out your Twitter, it's true. 
Um, but you uh, you mentioned a couple times that um, people are constantly sending you emails and yep. giving you trouble. And then, of course, like I said, you're on Twitter and people are giving you trouble. I mean, what's uh, what do you say? I guess what stance do you take that people are most upset about? Uh, I would say overall the last year would be um, my attitude towards Alex Steen. Mm -hmm. And what the, what most people didn't understand was when I would say Alex Steen was just not playing up to his contract. It wasn't that I didn't like the guy, the guy's getting older. He's 33, 34 years old. And it happens to every player. Uh, You start to diminish your, your body can't take it. He's a well-known two-way player that hasn't been a great two-way player in a couple of years. But at one time, he was one of the best, if not the best, two-way player in the NHL. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But people still think of him that way and think that $5.7 million contract is justified. Well, I've kind of changed a little bit on that stance because after some of these contracts in this offseason – uh, you know, even if he's not the two-way player that he was before and gives us 15 goals and 25, 30 assists, I'm kind of fine with the contract he's got. But there are people that just get heated and and hateful. And I even had one guy say, you know, I, I know where you live and, and I'm going to come to your house. And But for the most part, I'm just civil back to him. You know, I say, yeah, I, f- I fully understand your point. Alex Steen is a great guy in person. I'm sure the players love him, but he is having a bad year. I appreciate your comment. Uh, I don't really get into heated arguments. You know, there's been a few times where I have when somebody's just being totally stupid. Like I had a guy one time tell me, and believe this or not, Jeff, Bernie Federko is not a Hall of Famer. And his oh. reasoning his reasoning behind it, Jeff, because it took so long, 10 years, to get him in the Hall of Fame. And I brought out stat after stat. I even showed him two videos of Wayne Gretzky saying Bernard Federko was one of the top centers in the 80s. Oh, yeah. And uh, and Bernard Federko would always say he would hate playing against him because he knew Bernard Federko was one of the best centers. And he would keep coming back. Well, good players, it doesn't take 10 to 12 years for a good player to get in the Hall of Fame. I said, you know why he wasn't in the Hall of Fame earlier? I said, number one, he played for the Blues. Number two, there were a lot of damn good centers in the 80s. Yeah, he was overshadowed a lot. That's time overshadowed. That's something that my dad and I used to talk about was that uh, uh, the guy would put up insane monster numbers, but because he was playing in that era, nobody talked about him. He was was the quietest Mm all-star every year. Yeah, and what's what's shocking is, and I hate to say this, these three words, but Detroit Red Wings, when he went to the Detroit Red Wings, even as an older man, he still looked good. And he actually got, I think, more press that year from playing for Detroit. And it wasn't a great year for him. It was good. But he got more press that year than some of his best 100-point seasons with the Blues. That's crazy. It's crazy how that works. Um. So uh, what's the nastiest email you've ever gotten? Well, the one uh, saying they were going to come to my house. That's pretty bad. I got one that called me a piece of SHIT that I, and that I was an effing moron. And I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to send that to you. Oh, uh, I figured it was you. It was from Jay Ponder at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's me. That's me. But uh, no, um, you know, it was really, really bad, but 
I, I killed him with kindness. I actually, I said, thank you for your input. I appreciate it. I'm sorry. You're such a hateful person. Let's go blues. I mean, what's, what's he going to say to that? He can't respond and hate me even more. I guess he could, but that normally shuts him up. Uh, I've got a lot of people that I met in Canada that listen to the show. I used to do, I worked for a telecom. I was a chief operations officer for about 10 years for a telecom. And uh, I did a lot of business up there. And those people are just rabid when it comes to hockey. There's a lot of blues fans in uh, Ontario, in uh, the province of Quebec, in Alberta, not as many in BC, British Columbia, but there are a ton of blues fans up there. And I get a lot of emails from them. I get some from Russia. There's not a lot, probably in the last two and a half, three years, probably got 20, 30 emails from people in Russia. Some of them I've had to decipher through, uh, through Google Translate and Google Translate's not the best because it doesn't always make sense, but uh, it's just fun to get those emails, even the ones where people trash you. Oh, no, <laughs> here he is. Hey, it's, it tells you that people are listening. That's the way I see it. Yeah. And I mean, I've even had people say, well, you've only got 500 followers on Twitter. How can you get so many emails? <sighs> well, I've got people that are subscribed to my podcast from all over the world. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a Rich Eisen podcast kind of a guy, but for a local podcast, you know, just a 49-year-old guy who grew up with the blues, who played hockey, uh, you know, I, I do pretty good. And I got my niche, and, and I like it. And if you love my show, that's great. If you don't like it, that's also great, because at least you're listening to it to find out that you don't like it. Yep, that's what I always say. If you don't like us, there's plenty of other blues that's podcasts right. out there. That's right. Yep. So would you say you're as cynical in real life as you appear on Twitter and on your show sometimes? I'm going to put it to you this way, Jeff. My wife says I am a pessimist. <laughs> I tell her I am a realist. I uh, I prepare for the worst, but I'm hoping for the best. That's the best way I can describe myself. I kind of prepare for both because I've always felt like uh, like when I worked as a chief operations officer, uh, my, me, my CEO and I would get into arguments all the time because he would tell me, you tell me what could go right, but you're also telling me what could go wrong. I said, yeah, because I want you to be prepared for if we do this, if we sign this contract with these terms, this could happen or this could happen. And I, I always like to, I, I guess I am a pessimist at sometimes, but when your team is playing terrible, you know, you can try to bring out the good spots and, and, and I, I do my best to do that. But when your team is, you know, averaging, you know, they've scored three goals in seven games, there's not a lot of positive you can talk about that. There's just not, you can try to, and, you know, I try to bring out the positive, but uh, you know, at times maybe I am a little harsh. And if I am the next podcast, I'll say, you know, guys, you know, I, I, I'm not really apologizing, but I got a lot of emails, a lot of Twitter uh, responses. And yeah, I probably was a little too hard, but you've got to understand where I'm coming from. I, I gave a lot of points to support my opinion, but I also understand why people feel this way. No, that's, uh, hey, I like that. I like being a realist. I'm with you on that. Um, so uh, kind of getting a little blues talk here. Uh, something that you've been uh, kind of tweeting about and people have been talking about a lot um, is the upcoming icebreaker event, the third jerseys coming out. What are you expecting from the third jerseys? Um, the third jersey 
is going to look similar to the Winter Classic jersey, but it's going to be a little bit different. I've seen some renditions that are close to it. Um, as I said, I know some people that uh, work for some people that uh, are in charge of uh, making that third jersey. Mm. I haven't officially seen it, but from what I understand, Blues fans are going to like it. And I am hoping that that it is like the uh, third jersey uh, that they wore two years back. Mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful jersey. It reminds me of old, old Blues jerseys, but it's it's more up-to-date. I think you're going to see a more up-to-date version of that. I'm hoping that's the one that they're going with, uh, similar to the one I've seen online where they've got the old-style jersey, the Winter Classic jersey, but it has more of the circular logo like the Blues third jersey from years ago. Uh, I think it's going to be close to that one. I might be wrong, but I would be happy if it was that one. Okay, cool. Um, so you've uh, you've kind of defended Jake Allen, and, and very much so, sometimes rightfully so. I mean, the last game of the season, I thought he played phenomenal. Um, what do you expect from him this coming season? Well, you know, a lot of people are, are just – wigging out over Jake Allen and, you know, people that would join your show would talk, you know, either positive or negative about him as a goaltender. I know what the guy's going through. You have rough patches and yeah, some guys have rough patches every year and Jake Allen just seems to do that. Some guys get over it. Some guys grow up. I mean, he's 28 years old. He's been in the league for a while now, you know, it five years. It's just, time for him to stop that inconsistency. Yeah, have a couple bad games here and there, but don't have a bad month. But the thing is, is uh, Jeff, you know, the Blues only scored 2.71 goals a game. And their goalies combined, when you combine Allen and, of course, um, Carter Hutton, allowed 2.72 goals against. He allowed 2.74 goals against. So, you know, a lot of people are blaming him for losses, but with a 2.74 goals against, your team has to score more than two goals. And when your team doesn't score more than two goals, it doesn't matter how many goals your goalie gives up. I mean, if 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 you're scoring 2.7 goals a game, you're not you're not going to win a bunch of games. And there was only three or four teams, I believe, in the league last year that had worse a worse uh, stat when it comes to goals for than the Blues. So they were the fourth worst. When you're the fourth worst, it doesn't matter how good your goalie is. Because you can look at it this way. People go on and what a great, great goaltender Murray is for the Penguins. If you look at his stats, he's not that great. He really, his save percentage is decent, but his goals against, I believe, is somewhere around three. But every year the Penguins are in the playoffs. You need a goalie that keeps you in games. And yeah, there was times when Jake Allen laid a major egg, you know, he, he did it. He's done it for several seasons, but there were also a lot of times that defense let him down. There were a lot of times he would make two to three saves. My coaches would always tell me, make the first two saves. If you make the first two saves, we'll get it out of there. You know, we prefer you make one and we get it out. But if you make the first two saves and we don't get it out, that goal's on us. And a lot of times, 
the Blues did the Blues would not get it out. He'd have three or four shots against him. He'd have breakaways. I mean, how many times did they give up the puck, Jeff? And shorthanded goals. Shorthanded goals killed the Blues last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Just totally killed them. You take away just one of those shorthanded goals, and the Blues win that game. They're in the playoffs. Yeah, it comes down to one game. Yeah, they win one of those games. They're in the playoffs. And that last game, uh, he was awesome. I mean, I had a lot of people tell me he, that he cost him the game. And I kept saying to myself, what game were they watching? Mm. Because Jake Allen did what he was supposed to do in that Colorado game. He oh, really did. Now there was the goal that probably shouldn't have been. The offside one? The offside one. Mm-hmm. But that happens, you know, and uh, that's one thing that the league has to do. They've got to look at it. And I've told you from my technology background, there's a much easier way to do that call than to just have a camera there on the blue line there. You could use sensors, a laser sight, and it would tell you exactly. You could put a laser sight within the puck and it would tell you exactly when that puck crossed. And if the player crossed before the puck did, it would be that easy, but I'm not sure if the NHL would want to do it. Uh, Maybe one day, but it doesn't seem like anytime soon for sure. Nope. Uh, So uh, we kind of talked about this off air, but I want to get your thoughts recorded on uh, Scotty Upshaw signing his PTO with the Edmonton Oilers earlier today? Uh, I wish him the best. I like Scotty, Scotty Upshaw, uh, even though people think I don't. But he is what he is. I think you and I agree, and most people will agree, that that no hockey and follow hockey that don't have the fourth-line bias where everybody thinks we need more fourth-liners will agree that he is a role player. Did he play his role last year for the most part? Yeah, but he was also getting older. He's lost that that speed that he had when he was younger, and he cost the Blues in the last part of the season. If you remember, Jeff, there were a lot of bad penalties. He took at least five or six that I can remember that the other team scored goals on, and he cost the Blues the game. I wish him the best. He's a great guy, but – he was signed by on a PTO a professional tryout deal. If he was that good, the Oilers would have given him a league minimum contract, but just as last year, Vancouver had him on a PTO when the blues got him. So I wish him the best, but it's time to move on from, from Scotty Upshaw. Um, so maybe in his place, we're going to see a couple of young guys, maybe step in there. I was going to ask you what your thoughts are on um, the, the big three that we keep hearing about. Kairou, Costin, and Thomas, um, who are you most excited about? And is there anyone from what you've seen that uh, make you not excited to see them in the NHL? Uh, Not really. Uh, I don't think that there's anybody that I'm not excited to see. People keep talking about Foley, Eric Foley, that they got from Winnipeg. I I think he could be a decent player, but I think he's going to be a third or fourth line guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people I've seen are saying in two or three years, he could be on the first line with, with Thomas. And I just don't see that. Maybe he'll surprise me, which he could. I've seen a lot of, uh, as us old people say tape on him. And, uh, I think he's a good player. He's got some skill. He's definitely physical when he wants to be, uh, he calls himself a power forward, but I think it's six foot in the NHL. That's a little small to be a power forward. I like Costin. I think Costin's going to really surprise people because people talk so much about Thomas and Cairo. I think a couple of years down the road, Costin's going to be a player where that the Blues fans are going to say, "Dang, I knew Thomas and Cairo were good, and you know I thought Costin was going to be okay, but he's really good." 
I think we all know what we're going to get from Thomas. I don't think he's going to be one of those uh, players that uh, disappoint you like a Ty Ratty. As we all remember, Ty Ratty was a solid shoe-in, had all this talent, and was going to be a 30-40 goal scorer in the NHL, and he just couldn't put it together. I don't think Thomas is going to be that. I don't think Cairo is going to be that. They're not showing any signs of that. Thomas is going to be a number one center, and I think Cairo eventually will be at the worst a number two winger. Uh, I think people are going to even see more from Cairo than they expect from him. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in the league that are calling Thomas a top five prospect. I've been watching a lot of YouTube where he's not even on the top 10 or top 20 list, which I don't understand. Because if you look at elite, at elite prospects and 99% of the scouts, they have him in the top five and at the lowest, of top 10. I don't, I hate to say can't miss because I don't want to jinx him. Right. But I think this guy could be a 25 to 30 goal scorer and a 50 to 60 assist guy. I, I, I really do. I don't, I think everyone would be very happy with those numbers. Is it going to happen quickly? Probably not, because I think the Blues have to clear out some other guys. Uh, in all honesty, uh, you know, and we can talk about this. Uh, Chris Thorburn, I like the guy. I think he tries. I think his time in the NHL needs to be done. He's one of those heart kind of guys. Been through a lot with his son, and uh, it's a it's a big, uh, you know, heartfelt kind of story with him. But I think it's time for the Blues to move on from him. They've got Maroon now to kind of fill that uh ins- not instigator role but that guy that's going to stand up for his teammates. You know, cuz like you and I discussed when you got 6 7 guys that are trying to fight for three spots on that fourth line, something's got to give, especially if you look at their roster now uh with no Thomas Costin or, or Kairu on it and we all expect at least Thomas to be on there on the final roster and Kairu may be if he has a good camp. If he has a good camp I don't see how the Blues cannot put him on that roster and drop somebody off that fourth line. I, I just don't see how they can put him back down in juniors. I just don't. So it's probably looking way into the future, but you had some thoughts at the uh, draft this year on the number one pick, Dominic Bach. Uh, what have you seen from him, and, and what do you expect from him uh, going forward? Dominic Bach is one of those guys that he's got natural-born talent. He comes by it naturally. I think he needs to work a little bit harder. If he can work hard to get better, I think sky's the limit for him. I think he could be better. He could be a much better player than Thomas. He's got the the tools. If you watch him against people his age, and he's pretty good. When they promoted him to the big team, I believe in Sweden, uh, he kind of didn't stand out. And that happens to a lot of young guys. You know, it's their first time at the top of the league, uh, they get nervous, but I think he needs to improve in his work ethic. He needs to not take plays off. Sometimes you'll see him just giving it all. And other times you just kind of see him skating around, but this guy, I'm not going to say can't miss because you know, he he's, he's just got that kind of a generational talent that if he puts it together, I think he needs to gain a little bit of weight. He's a tall guy but I think he needs to gain a little bit of weight, uh, get a little more, not necessarily physical, but be able to put up with the more physical game in the NHL. 
uh, I think he's going to be a great player, probably three years to four years down the road. If he works hard, we could see him in two to three years. We really, really could. But uh, I think the Blues got a really good player that if, if in all honesty, he would have competed well in the upper echelon league in Sweden, I think he'd have been a top five pick. So uh, what's what's coming up this year? What can people expect from the Drop Podcast for the eighteen nineteen season? I think uh, what you're going to expect from the Drop Podcast is continue for me to be honest. You know, when the Blues are playing great, I'll say they're playing great. If a move that Doug Armstrong had made with, you know, getting Ryan O'Reilly, bringing David Perron back, uh, getting Tyler Bozak, who I think is a great player, um, I think everything's going to be fine and I won't be negative, but uh, you know, if, if there's positive to have, I'll be positive. If there's something negative, you know, I, I don't necessarily be negative, but you know, I, I think as a podcast, you've got to be honest. And I, I think that's one reason why Jeff, and you can probably speak to this, why a lot of teams in the NHL won't give podcast press credentials because a lot of podcasts, uh, you know, we're not like uh, Strickland and and the other guys that write for the Blues. They've got to be pretty positive most of the time. They can kind of bring out some negative things, but they've got to kind of watch what they say. Uh, in our format, we don't kind of have to do that, but um, you can just expect the same from me to be there for every game. Something big happens, you know, there'll be extra podcast, but uh, we'll be watching closely the moves that Doug Armstrong made. Uh, is Doug Armstrong going to look like the smartest man in the world this year? Or is he going to like a guy that did his best to make some moves and they just didn't work out? And hey, I, you know me, I have really been negative when he's done some bad things. You know, some the, that whole Latera contract was the worst thing he'd ever done. Mm-hmm. But when he got Shin, he redeemed himself. He's mm-hmm. trying. He, you know, you cannot fault a GM for trying. He's brought Perron back. He's brought Bozak back. He's brought Ryan O'Reilly in. And, you know, he's trying to get the Blues where they need to be. Mr. Stillman's giving him the money. That's never been the Blues problem is, uh, you know, is spending under the cap. They're always right at that cap. It's been bad decisions with how they spend their money. So I think we're going to talk about that a lot this year. And hopefully it's in a positive I'm hoping Jake Allen bounces back. But like I said, if he doesn't have that bad, bad month, and even if he is around 2.6, 2.7 goals against, and the Blues get their scoring back, I think the Blues will be fine because we've seen him in the playoffs. And that series against uh, uh, Minnesota a couple of years ago, he was awesome. I mean, he was just great in that series. The Blues played very well, but Jake Allen won that series for the Blues. If he can get back to that form, he's a type of goalie that when he gets in the playoffs, he can get hot. I'm with you. I'm with you. So, uh, Lance, this has been uh, a good time, as always, is having you on the show usually. Um, so I want to go ahead and give you a little time here. As I said at the Open, how they can people can interact with you. But remind them one more time, if there's anything I didn't mention, how people can find your show and how they can interact with you on social media. Well, they can interact with me uh, through my Twitter account. It's at Drop Hockey Show. Uh, the title of the page or the name of the page is the Drop Hockey Podcast. They can find me there. They can find me on the website at droppodcast 
com, where we have every episode I believe we've ever done archived and you can go back and listen to old blues games, which is great to do. I even do that myself from time to time. And it's kind of funny that I sit there and tweet myself. I can go, Oh yeah, I can remember that. Cause I was using that microphone. It doesn't sound very good, right. but uh, uh, no, they can find me there. They can find us on iHeartRadio, Google play iTunes. I'm on the rip, not a Meyer talking sports show, 96.7 in Carlisle several times a year. So I'll be posting that when I'm going to be on that show and you guys can tune into that. Uh, you can reach me at Lance D that's L A N C E D at droppodcast.com is my email. Uh, I welcome all emails and a differences of opinions. Uh, I will always respond to your emails. I, I never ever let an email go. It may take me a couple days, but I always respond to you guys. And I want to thank all the listeners that uh, do listen to my show and, I want to thank Jeff and Let's Go Blues Radio for having me on this summer interview series. Of course, man. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. No problem. Well, again, I want to thank Lance, Gene, and Smash for coming on this episode. Very long, extended episode, but as I said in our episode last week, the uh, where we talked about the third jerseys and Pronger getting his jersey retired, which he should... I'm, I'm kind of running out of time here. I got to start doubling up a little bit more on these episodes. I'm wanting to release one a week, and uh, we're we're getting down to grind time, which is a good thing. Uh, regular shows will be coming up, and of course, blues hockey. So if you want to book the Smash Band, or if you just kind of want to check out what they're all about, you can go to SmashBand.com, and for Butch Wax and the Hollywoods, uh, you can check out their uh, tour schedule. And again, for booking, you can find them at butchwaxandthehollywoods.com. Exactly how it sounds. Again, a big thanks to Lance from the Drop Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Drop Hockey Show. Thank you to all three of these gentlemen for coming on. Um, this was an action-packed show, and I hope you enjoyed it. So again, I want to thank uh, Smash and Gene for the song, but I mostly want to mention, since I've already thanked them so much on this episode, thanks to the great, late Johnny Johnson. Uh, again, that piano solo in that song is just phenomenal. Twitter handles for the show. You can find LGB Radio at LGB Radio. See how that works? Kurt Price is at Kurt Price. That's Kurt with a C. Bill Day is at Billy Blue Note, and myself, Jeff Ponder, can be found at jponder94. My guest for next week, uh, I got nobody, there's nobody, I don't have anybody yet, but that's okay. I am working on a couple people who are interested in coming on. As I said on the show last week, uh, there's a pretty big, let's just say former blue, people love to hear his opinions that's uh, showed interest in coming on the show. And, and so he'll be on hopefully soon. Uh, working on a couple other guys, some Twitter personalities that I haven't reached out to yet. Uh, so those of you who are like, oh, is he going to ask me to come on? There's still hope, my friend. There is still hope. Uh, so yeah, thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, stay tuned to me on Twitter and Facebook. Ask to be my friend. Uh, easy enough. Jeff Ponder is my name. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at jponder94, as I said earlier, and I will update everyone as to who the next guest will be, guest or guests, I guess, considering, as I said, I got to start 
cranking these out and getting these people on the show because we're getting to grind time. Well, thank you for listening. And thank you to Gene. Thank you to Smash. And thank you to Lance. And I'll talk to you next week on the next episode of Let's Go Blues Radio.